Hello, everybody, and welcome to Bevies with the Boys. I'm Munchables. I'm joined by Dagda. We are the boys. And tonight we have a very special episode where we have the two veteran casters of EU, two of the absolute legends of the LEC slash EU LCS. We've got Deficio and Quickshot, the lovers reunited once more. <laughs> welcome to the show, gentlemen. How are you guys doing? Is this the first time you guys have spoken in the last few years? Like, do you speak outside of broadcast? In public. Uh, in public. Yeah. Trevor sends me drunk WhatsApp voice messages. <laughs> He's crying and screaming. Mm -hmm. I wish it wasn't true, but it is true. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we haven't we haven't had a public appearance since you know Martin left me for the extremely failed venture of <laughs> some sort of coach or manager no, or something. Why do people think a coach, man? <laughs> we can we can have the failed part in there. That's fine. But like, I wasn't a coach. I don't know why people even think that. I think, well, the, the standard color caster thing is to become a coach, right? So I think people kind of drew the lines as opposed to actually reading the announcement more than anything else. See, that does make sense. However, um, I kind of knew this would come up, like not the failed part. Well, actually, I knew that too. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah. The, uh, the, the coach caster part, um, I think it took me two weeks of preseason initially uh, you know, when we started practicing mm -hmm. to realize, you know, how different the stuff you're looking at when you're trying to be a, co a color caster and like what you want to talk about in the game and on the analyst desk, mm -hmm. how different it is, it is from the way a professional team actually talks and looks at the game and what they consider interesting. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, I ended up taking a backseat very quickly. Um, I knew that from the start would be the case, but I was surprised about how quickly I was like, okay, I'm behind. I'm like really far behind oh, <laughs> compared no. to actually what I used to look at. So it's a very different. That's really interesting. I, I actually, I would love to dig more into that, but let's do some quick intros first because we never properly introduced everyone. I wanted to do a quick whip around and as is customary on the show, we'll go around kind of give yourself a little bit of an intro for anyone in the audience that doesn't know you and also let us know what you're drinking tonight so quick shot we'll start with you uh if everybody doesn't know who i am what the fuck are you i'll doing be very surprised if Hi. Nice. <laughs> um i'm quick shot trevor henry south african shoutcaster for league since 2012 and i'm currently drinking my poison of choice captain morgan's dark rum and diet coke with a few squares of ice um, some people call it a Cubo Libre somewhere, but that's just an awful name. It's a rum and coke. It's the only thing you should drink. Um, and yeah, that's it. Nice. Deficio, what, what are you uh, up to tonight? And what, what are you up to these days even? Uh, so Deficio casted with Trevor, I guess, back in the day, starting 2014. Before that, I was a, a very unsuccessful pro player. Uh, biggest achievement there was getting my team into the LCS to then have the longest losing streak for a couple of years, I think it was. Uh, it was 09 uh, as Copenhagen Wolves. Then I became a cast in 2014 and went to the team side two years ago, Trevor? Yeah. 2019 when the franchise started. Yeah, you left me in 2018. That's true. Worked with the yeah. Origin, got them into the LEC together with uh, Astralis at the time and now uh, director of Misfits Europe. So I'm switching titles up, hoping that that will make it it's sound e fancier. Titles change all the time. Exactly. It's like you actually, like, you can't really trust them. But... I'm just a water boy, but I like the title. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, also, what... I'm drinking this, uh, this uh, Michaela's special Christmas beer, because I was told we have to drink beer, and then Trevor apparently brings 
rum and coke. Well, a bevy is a beverage. No there's no stipulation on spirit. I was told yeah. beer. I can Be- find the email, and Devin says beer. Okay, well, that, if there was... Wow. If the, that was Rob's fault, not my fault. So he can take all the blame for that one. Uh, Rob, what are you I will get a beer today? later. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what are you on, Rob? Yeah, I'm on... Uh... Oh... He said so. I've gone gone. crazy. I'm on Peroni at the moment, but I'm drinking it out of a beer already glass, so I feel like I'm a little bit of a traitor for the uh, (laughs) Italian beers. But uh, yeah, it's pretty good. Nice. Uh, And I'll finish this off. uh, I was in the shop and I was browsing what to get, and I ended up with a Corona. And the reason for that is not just for the meme, but I realized their sales must have absolutely tanked. And I like this beer, so I felt like I should support this company because I like this beer. So I'm Or have they just got decades worth of free marketing? Because while it may suck for this year, imagine in three, five, ten years, once the vaccine is out and everyone talks about the impact that it had, maybe it'll come full circle and they'll, you know, not have to pay for marketing for a while. Could be like the corona you always loved. Yeah. Something like this. See what I mean? Be this guy, he's a director. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Well, for now, I'm gonna be on the corona anyway. Um, so let's let's start off by, I feel like we should have a little walk down memory lane and talk EULCS, talk about kind of you guys, how you became friends in the first place and, and, and the development of that friendship. Because obviously uh, th- there's always a, a public side and a private side to everything, but I know you guys are are good friends beyond just on broadcast, or at least that's that was my. We were. I mean, we were until he broke up with me. Until <laughs> I no, I think it's. Um... It was definitely like a workplace. It was a workplace respect that turned into a friendship. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, um, traveling around the world to the different events, to the different roadshows that we had, and at the time having to share room with Martin was definitely an eye-opening experience. <laughs> um, and I think the two of us on camera, we, we both have elements of our real personality that you obviously can't let loose on camera, right? And and you, you, there's a professionalism you bring to the office and to the show. But the two of us, like, like when we're on the road and giving each other shit and, and the the banter, it never stopped. Even to this day, it, it doesn't stop. Before we jumped on the call, the first thing that Martin did was insult me. And it, it's been that way for the entire time I've known him. Yeah, you know. Um, well, I think if we go, if we go really far back, um, obviously Trevor was originally one of the first, you know, shoutcasters when yeah. LCS got announced, and before that, he was the South African famous for, you know, spell names. Hype, hype from his living room who knew all the spell names, and he would cast. Everything in the European scene, <laughs> yeah. like uh, all the trash tournaments, like everything. Trevor's name would just be attached to it, um, and it was spelled in that really stupid FPS way with with the one and stuff instead of an I. Um, so I knew of him because he was casting all these different things, um, and I got to play in some of them at least. Um, never too successfully, but at least we got to play some games against like M5 in like a DreamHack qualifier, mm-hmm. quarterfinal or something like this that he would cast. Um, so I knew of him. And obviously when we got into the LCS, he was there as one of the original color casters together with Jason Kaplan, um, which <laughs> again is a name. Yeah, so probably le- <laughs> very few League of Legends fans will probably remember that name, but there'll be a few old schoolers. Um, God. 
And I, what I cast happened? A bunch with him in FPSs, actually, just because we were oh, so you know him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so you know him. It was the dark times for me. It was it was a long time ago, and Trevor again still was mainly famous for being able to pronounce every spell name. You know, he just it remembered was a all much simpler time, dude. <laughs> it was very much like that's what counted as analysis back then for most people. It's true. It's true. Um, but what happened in that first year, um, which I think built relationships at least somewhat, and which also led uh, to me eventually uh, becoming a caster next to him, was that in Cologne, the broadcast team and the, the players and the managers, there weren't any coaches back then, so the managers, they would all after shows go and hang out you know, at a bar in Cologne. And naturally, people would talk a lot to each other. So, you know, you got to know all the casters, even if you weren't friends with them, right? You got to know them. Um, and I do think that definitely made it easier when then someone from Riot randomly calls you and tells you, hey, do you want to fly to Cologne and practice cast with these guys to see if you have, like, any sort of skill uh, within this field? Uh, I probably would never said yes to that if I didn't actually know you know, Trevor and D-Man at the time, who was the other guy who was practice casting with me uh, initially. And and I think like that kind of thing really helped establish a very tight esports group, uh, which yeah. then led to other I, things. I've got very fond memories of the player conferences. Now, I don't think I did too many sessions with, with your team and the Wolves back at the time, but basically like the shoutcasters would be brought into some of the sessions with the teams to either do interview training or on-camera training. And over the years, it eventually evolved into like brand advice and, and how to speak to journalists and things like that. But I distinctly remember that when I would do interview practice with certain teams, um, at the time, SK and Ocelot was one where the, the first like connection I had with Ocelot was he said, look, I'm good at interviews. Give me a hard interview. And I was a douchebag, an absolute douchebag. So we, we have the whole setup. It's on stage. And my first question is, do you care, about more, do you care more about money than your teammates? And his face Ooh. just dropped. And I was like, dude, you, you asked me hard mode. So I, I went in. And afterwards, he kind of like squared up to me. And I was like, hey, hey, hey. Just before anything, like you said hard mode, right? And like we kind of bonded in that way. Yeah. And I remember one of these like sessions, we went and you always do like a team building thing. We went to go-karting. I don't know if you remember doing that one, Deficio. Mm -hmm. And I was sat on the bus next to Bjergsen and we just had like a huge heart to heart. And the the quick shop Bjergsen romance started on a random bus to go-karting. Um, but actually, yeah, I forgot about all the boogaloo sessions and how many random conversations you had with with everybody and the thing was cool is it wasn't just league people there would be counter-strike pros that would rock up from time to time there'd be fifa events like there was a pub in cologne that just everyone went to after a show and it was like a really cool experience yeah i, I remember hearing stories of that same pub from uh uber if you guys know him the guy that went on to do mm -hmm. Overwatch yeah of later course down the line because he was at Got ESL to meet him there in the same time period, right? So he would have been probably going to the same nights. But... I think he just came to ESL like 2014 or something. Uh, the last year we were in Cologne and yep. we got to meet him that yeah. way. And he was casting with some of the different people there. Because he did I feel leave... like such a baby in esports compared to Use 3. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that was before my time as well. I only joined yeah. ESL in 2015, I think. So. But I was I was still very much a fan back in those days. But I now it's know just in hindsight. As, 
just as we moved to Berlin, actually, that was the first year that the, the relocation happened. And yeah. we were shitting our pants because like by, by this mm-hmm. point now, Martin and I had worked together for two years. I was still doing quote unquote color. Um, and only at international events was I able to go uh, to do play by play. And that was something that I'd, I'd been pushing for and I really wanted to do. Um, but at the time, D-Man and Joe were, were covering EULCS. So they were just like, hey, we've got like two of the best in the business. Good luck. Um, and the move to Berlin, uh, both of them declined the offer, and I was able to kind of land on my feet in the in the the role I was supposed to be doing. And I think that was kind of that was a big growing up year, um, definitely for me, and I, I think probably for Martin as well. Um, and we both kind of had to really refocus on the job and be like, well, it's kind of our show now, obviously with Shocks as well um, mm-hmm. as the old kids on the block, having done it for two years or three years. Like we were still really fresh faced in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if we actually talked about this publicly. Maybe we did, but um, when we swapped over to Berlin in 2015, it was the worst European league year ever, right? Like it was the one where a- Alliance got kaboomed. Uh, Fnatic was like cyanide misclicking an auto attack on the Nexus away from making out of groups. So all three European teams in 2014, uh, you know, had failed for the first time. The year before, Fnatic had made semis. The year before that, M5 were favorites to win the whole thing, lost in semis as well. Um, so it was a horrible year. Uh, and I remember also the f- general feeling around just the broadcast and 2014 EULCS was pretty negative you know like the games weren't very exciting um there was just generally a lot of criticism uh mm-hmm. for for a lot of things like i was always getting flamed left and right because i was just sitting in there and with a potato in my mouth and no hold one understood on, what on, i was saying so that was getting flamed i'm sure trevor got flamed i don't remember but i'm sure he got flamed as well. <laughs> um actually i did remember i just didn't want to say it so, i know yeah. i know thank <laughs> you for that i yeah, appreciate yeah. it It made me feel uh, better but no it, it's so um, there's just a lot of negativity and then riot were like they dropped the the bomb on us there and they were like okay hey we're gonna swap it over we're gonna move over to berlin you know here, here's the reasons and the casting team obviously just kind of cut in half um, because, uh, as Trevor said, you know the two guys didn't want to didn't want to follow, and we started the year in Berlin, in this tiny office in the middle of Berlin. Um, I just remember how cold it was, and everything was new, and there wasn't anything there because the ride office hadn't been set up yet. And it was just Trevor and myself and Shocks, as he said, like that's it. That was literally the broadcast. There was no one else, um, and we tried to hire people, but. Uh, it took some time, and we would we were gonna get Pyra, and then he needed to get his visa, which also would take time. So he wouldn't be there for for week one, and I believe that was the time where we were supposed to get uh, a scoundrel in uh, to to join as a colorcaster. But then he had to stay another year for his studies, so we ended up not getting him either. And we legitimately started week one's broadcast with two casters. One guy who just swapped over to play-by-play, one guy with a potato in his mouth, <laughs> and then shocks on the analyst desk with with whoever we could get as a guest, like as any many person. players as possible, any yeah. players. This is any player. If you just want to get on and just say like ten words or something, just get on. Like just do it. You know, we just need someone. Yeah. That was literally the start of our broadcast, and we just yeah. had Europe with a terrible 2014 competitive year as well. So it was. Uh, it was a weird preseason and yeah, a lot of nerves, I think, going into week one. 
did it help you guys to kind of like be in that together? Because obviously there's only the three of you that are getting a lot of shit tossed your way. Like, did it help you form together where you're like, fuck these guys, we got each other's backs? Or was it just like stress constantly? Because I know you're laughing about it now, but it's got to be tough at the time. In, in retrospect, in retrospect, yes. And um, if anybody's watched any of the supplementary content that we've done at the LEC over the last year or two, um, Ifya and I were not friends at the time. Um, we we did not get along very well, and to date, there's there's nobody on this planet that doesn't like Martin. Um, he's just one of the, he's he's just the most. No, like, <laughs> there are people who don't like things you have done. That's different to disliking you as a person, right? And it was it was interesting because like at the time, I don't think Martin and I were. I don't think we realized what was going, what was coming, what was going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. And like when you when you're in the thick of it you're struggling so much just to make the best show possible to to be the best version of yourself to deliver the best cars to be the most prepared while simultaneously like building an office trying to hype like we were doing interviews together the two of us in 2015 were not qualified to be running interviews to hire people without like oversight right it was like the two of us in a room talking to people and then they'd leave and we'd be like they were great they were great and we talk stuff and they go but well how did they answer this this and this we're like oh they were bad they were bad no like we had no clue, right? And it's it's only once you get through it all and once you have a few like really spectacular moments and most of that spring split I don't remember. I remember um not having Pyro at the beginning and then I remember not having a second color caster and that I would have to flip between play by play and color because we just didn't have enough people on the same show day and I'd yeah. never have to do that before. But ultimately, what I remember from spring of 2015 was the Madrid finals and the stadium and the fans. And all of that other crap just went by the way because all we did was look forward and all we did was try to figure out what was the right thing to do at the time. And and that was like the the North Star or the guiding light. So I remember... Sorry, it's just we're talking too much here, but no, no, no. 2015. This, I, I'm like, I'm actually glued to this conversation. I'm so yeah. interested because I was still a viewer at this point and I was obsessed with the yeah. LCS. So, this is super interesting for me. Okay, so let me ask did you guys rem- remember like going into week one of spring how Fnatic had died, right? Xpec had left, Soas had yes. left, yeah, uh, they had to rebuild. Um, it was this completely new, new this, Fnatic. This is Huni Rainover. Yes, and Reckless yeah, and, had left as well. Yeah. Reckless had gone to Elements to form the super team. Uh, Remember Pushu? Oh, yeah. And st- yeah. Was so, it Steelback? It was actually Steelback. Pushu yeah. was two years before that. Travis, uh, he's, he's, he's thinking 2013. Pushu was like in while Reckless was too young for LCS. Well, yeah. I was a fanatic mega fan at this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this, this uh, coming into this, I actually had a conversation with Shox about this recently. Uh, I found some of our old notes uh, heading into the season. Mm. And one of them was that like we had effectively lost our like star players and it was impossible to predict who would actually be the best team now, who who are the big stars, except for like elements was the one you wanted to hype because it was frog and reckless mm. shook wicked, uh, this kind of team. Right. So, so there was a lot of hype around them. They stolen reckless. Imagine stealing reckless from fanatic. Who does that? You gotta be crazy <laughs> in the head. Anyway, <laughs> Um, day one, where all this kicks off, I've actually rewatched the game. I don't know why, just to see how stupid me and Trevor looks, and um, <laughs> like just just to follow it. And this, oh. and it's the Huni Huni game, where it's his first one, and 
all we had been told was there was this kid from one of the training teams in Korea who had been signed together with Rainover, who was famously called Game Over at the time because he was such a yeah. bad jungler in, in Korea. Uh, that was his nickname. Who came over to this weird fanatic team uh, without Reckless, without Peke, without Soas. And I just remember having zero expectations for them. And they were just going to get stomped by elements. And, oh my God, we lost all these star players. This really sucks. Peck is in Challenger Series with Origin. What's happening? And then Huni just, like, murders elements in this game. Like, he just, like, takes over the game from, like, laning phase. Um, and we just, like, we just got so excited. And the viewers just got so excited from literally game one of like yes fanatic are still yeah. good who are these guys are insane <laughs> um and it just kick-started everything um i feel like that actually made it such a sick spring split with also unicorns of love coming in for the first time yeah playing crazy league of legends that monte cristo hated and he was the big guy at the time <laughs> who would flame unicorns but also the the jungle item meta as well the fact it was being used on solo lanes as well and like the ridiculous oh, yeah. builds that were hugely popular mm. um what was the yellow the yellow smite item uh, called yes <laughs> gave you a little puppy that yeah. would follow you around so like cute. i love that thing <laughs> Oh man, God, those those are the days. I I, I remember yeah. watching this split and, and like, because as I've said, I was a fanatic fan at the time, and um, I remember that that team exploding, and just being like, oh God, we're so doomed, and having no expectation mm -hmm. for Huni and Rainover, and then this team just came out of nowhere and just like, <laughs> like I I don't think anyone expected it, but the the level of excitement and. It, I was still very much, there was this air around that Fnatic team of just magic, where it was like, I don't know who these players are, like, I don't know why this is working, but this is the most glorious thing I've ever seen, and I'm wearing my Fnatic jersey, and it was just like, I'm just going to ride this wave, baby, because who cares why they're winning, they're winning, and that's all that matters, it was... Uh... That was a magical time in EU I mean, that, that entire speech you just gave summarizes the entirety of MSI as well. Because we went to fucking Tallahassee, Florida. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. A <laughs> university town, right? <laughs> FSU, Florida State University, fear the spear without a single university student on campus. It was like a ghost town, oh, right? Yeah. And it was just the timing of MSI did not fall in season for the, the campus and the town. And like, it was lovely. It was just barren. There was no yeah. one there except for the few league people and, and the fans in that stadium. And then um, Fnatic push SKT to five games. Mm Huni -hmm. played Casio and Lucian top, blew everybody's minds. Rainover, I think there was a Gragas bug through the one of the walls as well, if I recall correctly, in like game three or game four of that series. And then EDG go on to beat SKT in the final. Like that journey, that ride, from how Martin just described our spring split starting without enough people to finish the show, to then having like an EU team going five games against SKT, uh, like it, it was a spectacular six months, only to then be topped by Origin qualifying for the summer season the 18 and 0 fanatic into a five game fight like in in retro nobody could ever have known how spectacular that year was going to become in european history and it was probably one of the most exciting years for european league of legends ultimately mm -hmm. with two of the least experienced people trying to figure shit out along the way bumping their head on on every single door you know like 
it was such a foundational year for, for me personally, but then also for Martin, also for you, also the whole ULCS crew who were finding their feet in Berlin. And we had some tech challenges. We had some problems. You know, <laughs> yeah. it was it was a bumpy ride. But it led to, as you said, the final in, in Spain in spring, initially, where we had, now that we're talking about Trevor and myself, and like kind of, I guess what elevated that from a brand perspective is obviously where we had five game series, Unicorns versus Fnatic. It was supposed to be a 3-0 stomp for Fnatic. Unicorns came out swinging. They played Varus mid lane in yep. the first game. Um, full and lethality smacked. And smacked. And this was supposed to not be a thing. And mm-hmm. I remember, because at the time, um, I don't follow as many Twitter analysts anymore, so I don't fully know how it is these days as, as it was back then. But back then, there were a lot of very opinionated people on Twitter and they were very <laughs> no, aggressive. It's not changed. It's uh, not changed. Okay. Okay. Still the same. Fair enough. <laughs> but like they were very aggressive about what was right and what was wrong. And uh, as a color caster as well, if you said like one wrong word about something, you would just get like bombarded with tweets about how fucking wrong it is. And how dare you say Varus is supposed to build this item when he built that item instead, I'm going to murder you and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so it's very aggressive times. Um, but I remember before the game had started, before the series, I was in makeup with power of evil uh he was sitting next to me in in makeup and we were just chatting and he brought up this virus thing to me and he was like yeah you know virus i actually think it can work mid lane so i like ran back to my pc after and i started like just looking at virus solo queue builds i was like virus mid lane okay what can it be what can it be what can it be and i i noticed like the trend of the lethality build um i think it was ghostblade rush or something like this so when he picked it um i instantly was like oh that's gonna go mid lane and he's going to build like Ghostblade, Lethality, something, something. I don't think it was called Lethality at the time. Armor Pen, no. maybe? Yeah, uh, it was Brutalizer. Uh, right. yeah, uh, Brutalizer. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I was like, and he's going to do this, he's going to do that. And then people were like, whoa, how did he know? That was insane. So that like instantly built some credit in that final. And then the Trevor Kiss Me moment happened uh, <laughs> after uh, as well, which people also really liked. And I think that ended up like the final itself was hype. And then the cast itself had some memorable moments uh, between us. Uh, and I think that created a super positive snowball around a split where we were underdogs as casters, as a region. People really enjoyed it. It was a fantastic final show. Uh, great arena in Spain as well, with the crowd just going absolutely nuts. Um, and I think that just set us up to succeed then uh, for the rest of the year as well, uh, which obviously ended up just being better and better and better. Um, you know, so, yeah. something that that only kind of dawned on me very very recently is that martin and i never actually had a serious conversation around like hey you know so what are we going to do what is our style like we just kind of figured it out together and i think there was such a high level of trust because we both went through the same levels of shit and <laughs> when when we were on camera we were both disliked a fairly equal amount and at times he was hated more than i was and i would swap but like you know we kind of we were in the trenches together and it's only in, again, in retro, where you look back and you're like, you know, at no point did I ever go, Martin, what are you doing? Or I don't really trust the direction you're taking me. Um, like, I, I, I'm skipping way far ahead. But like, the, the spank me moment, <laughs> we, we, we get feedback, right? One of our producers, the guy who directs our show, his name's Jack. And he'll, he just gets very creative. He's got a very, very creative mind. And he'll message us in our head. He's like, hey, guys, I've, I've got this cameraman. Look, number 13 will be over your shoulder. So just wave at him. Now, we've done this for years, right? And all sorts of stuff. But like, there's only so many over-the-shoulder looks you can do. So Martin turns to me and goes, 
you know, what if, what if you spank me? Ha ha. And I'm like, okay, I'll do it. Now I didn't intend to hit him as hard as <laughs> I, like it actually did. And like the genuine surprise that is in the screenshot that supported this is because I smacked him. Like I went as hard as I could. And at no point did I even, th- I didn't even question it. He literally made a joke and I'm like, I'm in, I'm following you. Like, come on, I'm, I'm down. And that's kind of defined everything. You know, Martin just turns to me and was like, Trevor, kiss me. Because a couple are like hardcore making out yeah. in a little picture in picture. I don't know what to say. And I just burst out laughing. My knees go weak. On one side, we've got a German producer going, get that off screen. What's going on? And the other side, Martin's like, hey, do you want to kiss me? And all the fans are losing it. We're just like why is this our job like how did we get this lucky you know yeah. um but anyways it just, it just boils down to like we trusted each other and we followed each other no matter where the hell we were going a little bit of like sorry it was just there was a little bit of like fuck it at this stage we're already getting all the feedback we're just gonna go for it or was it just like you know what we're lost in the moment we're just mates let's just go for it where did um it come? i think it's more the second one hmm. i think you so at least for me the first year when I was getting hard flamed, like permanently, I was super scared to do anything. Like I didn't want to risk anything, right? I didn't want to say something wrong. I didn't want to try and do something that could be funny. And then maybe people didn't like it because they already like were very negative. Um, so I remember the first, like if you go back, you can't find a single highlight from me in, in the first year. Like, I don't think you can find a single one um, where once things got more positive and you started building up at least some support, I think it allows you a lot more to start being yourself and you can take some chances. Like it can both be in a serious way of like, um, you know, recently at Worlds, there was for some weird useless reason, this whole debate around Shox's uh, reckless segment, if you guys remember that, Um, which was a perfectly fine segment. I have no idea why people thought that was such a bad thing or whatever it, people were arguing. Uh, but I think that's something you don't do. You don't pull that out in the middle of worlds if you're not really like confident in yourself. And if you don't feel like, okay, I can, I, I'm going to try this. Let's do it. I, I make it in the moment. Boom. You know, serious segment. Uh, I, I think it, it can work. You don't do that if you don't have confidence, if you don't feel like you have support behind you. And I think that was the first year, at least for me. Maybe it was the same for you, Trevor, in the start. I don't know. Um, but I just remember doing that, that spring split we started loosening up more and you could be more yourself. And it also felt like the fan base that we built with the new LCS, the new EU LCS, with the new players, some of the new teams, when we were the underdogs, became like we became part of that group of fans who just liked watching this. And I hope those fans felt like we were like we were we were just part of this community with them. We weren't above them or anything. Um, so I think you just naturally started realizing, hey, a lot of people actually find this kind of funny. They they, they like this style. Uh, and then you start maybe doing it more because this is who you are. And now you just feel like you can actually do it. Um, See, there's, there's something to build onto that. It's, it's actually something that I've intentionally built in how I coach and sort of mentor the other shoutcasters that I've worked with over the years is that you, number one, you have to be authentic, right? You have to be yourself. And you can't be entirely yourself because we produce content for sponsors and fans. And like, not every joke and word and idea that pops into your head yeah. 
can make it on camera, especially if you have a sense of humor like Martin de Fischer Lunger. Um, <laughs> however, however, right, when you are authentic and when, when you are yourself and you, and you do some of the silly things, what I always say to everybody, and this is advice for any job, for any person anywhere in the world, you have to build up good credits. And once you build up good credit, you spend some of that credit doing some risky things, right? And if you don't have a foundational setting that people know you and trust you and understand your content, if you take a shot in the dark and miss and nobody knows who you are, that's your first impression, right? You're like, you, you can ruin your entire career. However, if people know you and trust you and come to expect a certain baseline and they go, oh, this is an experimental joke or this was a bold idea, it didn't really work out, you kind of got that like safety cushion. And that also means you don't back to back to back the crazy, silly ideas or the over the top, you know, in between some of the silliness, like we had very serious casts, we had very emotional moments, we had very silly moments, and you kind of need to find that balance. And and over the years, we've come to learn to do this more deliberately. But at the time, like to answer the question, it was just, we we were trying to do the best that we could. Martin and I have always, always, always read far too many comments on Reddit and Twitter and very fortunately, we, the two of us, have been able to, to like filter the absolute flame and the hate to take stuff that's actionable. But the two of us, for a very long time, had an unhealthy relationship with reading every single <laughs> thing. But that also, it's part of the fuel that drives you to get better, right? Um, but hey, we like, can turn this on on you guys. I was about because, to say, that just sounds right. like me and Rob <laughs> like, right now. So I, 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 did, I didn't mean the Reddit flaming stuff, but I, I meant more like... <laughs> well, thanks for that. Yeah, that was, <laughs> I, I meant more the whole, like, you know, you guys have really been building up like this year more than probably ever with the LPL broadcast. And yeah. I feel like you may be taking a little bit of the same thing that we did back in, in 2015. Um, so I guess I can ask the exact same question to you. Yeah, I mean, we've kind of slowly but surely been building up. And I think the biggest thing was myself and Munch lived together when we were over in Shanghai. So we definitely just kind of built the, a, sim a somewhat similar relationship to yourselves where we kind of trust each other. I know where his humor is at. He knows where I'm at. And then from that, we just literally sat in the apartment for like an hour just chatting absolute nonsense. And then every so often we'd have like, maybe 10 seconds of a conversation that goes onto the show and the rest of the time is just utter nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of a lot of time spent in that flat where Rob would be sat. So there's like, <laughs> when the room is like a big L shape, right? And Rob's desk is kind of in the middle of the, the L. My desk is all the way at this end. And then there's like kind of a living room space over here. Rob would be sat at his desk, like turned around on his on his chair, and I would like pace all the way along and all the way back along this L. And we would just have these intense conversations about the teams and about whatever, and it would like tangent in whatever ways it needed to tangent. And it's like with the LPL, you have so many games, and a lot of them really suck. Like the good LPL stuff is amazing. The bad LPL stuff is utter garbage. And <laughs> Like some of the some of the games, like when you've got a big big team that's on a win streak against one of these teams that literally hasn't figured out how to lane swap for Herald yet, you know this this kind of stuff. It's like there is so little to talk about. Like trying to figure out what narratives we want to push, like which players we want to build up for these teams. It's it's mm -hmm. very very difficult. So we'd have these huge conversations where we'd basically spend a whole afternoon 
with like the matchups that we had. We just had a week of terrible matchups. So we were like, just like try to plow it out. And the fact that we got to live together and just, it was kind of just hanging out with a mate, having a beer. But that turned into our a podcast. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe we should podcast <laughs> the next day. <laughs> but like, um, yeah, that, that turned into like a very productive way for us to approach it. But also, like, I think those conversations helped us build a very good relationship personally. Dude, well. everything you've just described, I think is kind of the job of a shoutcaster. Because Martin and I, like, we've done that, we've done that. I went straight yeah. to the double stream world of EU LCS. Do you oh, know man. how many times Martin and I, and, and the rest of the broadcast team as well, like all of our producers and the rest of the team would be like, fuck how do we make how do we make friday exciting you know (laughs) there was for for one game i think it was during the 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 double stream uh rocket at the time were they were were terrible and their top laner nice guy from from what i remember foxy um (laughs) good old foxy um we were trying to find like narratives for the game. We were just like, what are we going to talk about? And we went into the stats and we found that, so they had been losing like every game except for one. And he played Rumble in that game. It was his only Rumble game, but he went like 11-0 on it or something like this. So we literally just to try and find something, we actually took that and going into the pick and ban phase, our only prepared graphic for this game, it was on the B stream, <laughs> if I remember correctly. It was? Our, only, our only prepared graphic for that was a graphic of Faxi on Rumble, is just super good <laughs> compared to everything else. So we want him to play Rumble. That was that was our prep, and then the game just started, and then he didn't even play Rumble. I think he ever played it again. So, uh, but I, I get your I get the thing you guys are talking yeah, about. You guys I've just have there. way more games. Like, I remember recording a started just yeah. because it's all you got. Yeah, <laughs> myself and uh, Hysterics for one of the days. It like right at the end of the split, game didn't matter at all. And I camera I know it was Sooning and I think it was LGD maybe. But it was like it was still going to be a fun game. But like, just didn't matter. We knew that both teams were going to mess around. But both players had played Skarner. Oh, that's what it was. It was Oscar night. Because uh, basically, if LGT, whoever lost, got the better seeding in regional finals, like the easier side of the bracket. So technically, they wanted to lose. So um, we went in and were like, we can't come up with anything. These teams are not going to play properly. But they'd both played Skarner. So myself and Hysterics decided that we we're going to plaster the faces of the two junglers onto Skarner and then just make Scorpion King jokes and the rock jo- like quotes the entire <laughs> way through the broadcast and it was just us like quoting you're a jabroni why are you there the entire <laughs> way through the broadcast you gotta you gotta find some stuff like yeah, that yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we definitely had some interesting segments this year on LPL but we're, we're very Fight night was fun we, we've Fight been kind fun. of fumbling our way through it and just seeing what works like we did we did one called fight night where we tied ties around our heads because the idea was like these two teams were gonna brawl that was the idea it was, it was, it was ig and IGLG. we so prop comedy there's a lot there's That's a the lot of thing. growth there's a lot of growth to be made in prop comedy so i'm i'm already important <laughs> yeah. i remember the photos yeah. i saw the photos well, yeah <laughs> yeah I, that was my profile picture on twitter for a while uh-huh <laughs> this is interesting because i feel like this happened after my time, um, where because prop... you don't move, you're like the slower. You're a slot. Yeah, I'm not you're saying it's related to me. Off. I'm not saying it's related to me. I'm just saying that it feels like right now, 
uh, as a broadcast, you need to be able to make you know funny sketches. You need prop comedy. Our broadcast. Uh, broadcast. No, but like LPL broadcast too, right? As an example, I think we've seen it in a lot of different broadcasts. And back in the day, it was super rare. Like people still remember the two shins from Monty and Doa, right? <laughs> That's something that happens every week now in the LEC, basically. Yeah. Uh, I think Vedius is never just Vedius, right? He's always someone else, uh, almost every single broadcast. Weaponized cringe from the expanded <laughs> yes, yes. Vedius universe. That is the it's official a, terminology. It's a new meta of broadcasting. Uh, I even see it in other, on other games now as well. A lot of people are taking advantage of it. And of course, it was done before. It's just done way more. And the fans really, really love it. So I think you guys also doing it makes perfect sense. Um, I will admit I haven't followed the broadcast too much this year, so I don't know why Reddit loves you guys now. You're gonna have to explain that to me. But um, I mean, they could explain it to us first. Yeah, I don't <laughs> <laughs> yeah you don't even know what. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, everyone loves the OPL broadcast, so congratulations on that. <laughs> the, 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 the good thing is, it goes back to what we we're saying about this. Like, if you do stuff with, with like genuine with a level of genuineness that's not the right word but like if you're true to yourself if you if you guys find something funny and you fully commit to it then it works right mm -hmm. and i think what it, what is really really cool is that the audience has evolved and grown up with us right and five years ago eight years ago the broadcast just had to be professional and clean yeah, the, it's so the, boring dude the industry the industry wasn't where it is now right and in, in order to convince people like even within riot games that it's worth spending money on this stuff like there's a level of um preppiness that you kind of have to show yeah but then as fans and viewers have grown up and like you think about it i've been cast since 2012 eight years old eight years there there are still a very small section of people who are like i watched you in 2012 and I know where I was at 2012. I was a child, you know, and, and I've grown a lot. I can only imagine what fans and viewers have, but then so do tastes, right? And so does, does everything else. So you figure out the nuances of what your viewers are, what your players are, and, you know, cater to them, and then you've got a good product. Yeah, I mean, it's true. I don't know how it is in the LPL story meetings. I remember ours back in the day in 2014, 15, at least 14 and, and like the early years. They were so serious, man. Like everything was just like when I started, um, we wrote the entire script, like all of it, like everything that was going to be said in the intro was written down all. And really? we had to like go through everything. We had to like rehearse it. We had to, you know, read through it with our producers who were all based in, in LA at the time. Um, and I remember also thinking initially, like, why are we writing all this down? Like, can't we just like have a conversation uh, about this and we have some bullet points? But there was like, it was, everything was written down and there were no jokes because you can't write down a joke like that, right? So it was just completely streamlined. And the cast itself, the way I learned it at least, was that we, we have a lot of talk about the game. And then from time to time, there were some like personal jokes or some burns, you know, like D-Man was always good at finding different things. You could have Only because D-Man took shots at you, right? Nobody sure, sure. <laughs> and at the time, Reddit thought he hated you. Yeah, like, true. They actually thought you two didn't like each that's other. That's true. Um, but it, it was so different. And then it evolved over the years. And now when I've been sitting in on some of the story meetings from the broadcast the last couple of years, if I've been on as a guest or something, it's like, yes, there's still the, the high level things that people want to hit. And there's like a few bullet points. But you only really script out um, maybe special the segments. special segments and maybe the host 
intro and outro. So like when Shocks tosses to the casters, maybe they, they, they put something in there. Everything else is like bullet points. And then you go into rehearsal and you kind of try and go through some things and you see how the flow is. And then you trust that people know what they're doing. And it gives so much room for improv. It gives so much room for these funny moments than it was before. So I really like that it, it change uh, that happened. Yeah, but it also comes with trust and experience. Sorry to cut you off, but like, you know, very fortunately for, for many, many years, the core team were the same people, right? And like, you know, like I said, um, Ifya and I, we've we've grown to become friends over years, but Ifya has always been an exceptional host and she's always been very in control of everything that she does. And then when you work with the same team, with the same host, the same producer, a couple of years in a row, you can only have Martin in a call with you so many times before you start to expect which player or team he will <laughs> lose focus on and try to reject some humor, right? But then that eventually, like, it, it builds, like, it builds a foundation that you can add on to. And obviously, you have to change with the times because this is the internet and the internet changes so quickly. I'm yeah. going to get my second beer. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to grab a beer in a second as well. I did want to ask, yeah. um, and I'm especially curious about your opinion on this one, quick shot, because... Obviously, like all of the skits and stuff, the things we've been doing in the LPL, uh, it's all been within this year, basically. And a lot of that is in the wake of LEC kind of setting the tone of, hey, this is a really funny, interesting way to do esports. And uh, like, obviously, myself and, and Rob are European anyway, so we've watched a lot of LEC. So we, we very much uh, appreciate that kind of broadcast. And we've won we've made an active effort to try and incorporate some of that style. Yeah, but when you look at classical sports television, that style isn't really a thing. Not within sports television generally. Not within the live broadcast. There are some like post shows and things like that that do crazy stuff. But actually, the real show, like BBC, it is super prim. And oh yeah, but you picked up, the like... most boring broadcast. <laughs> but it's no, also one of the off. most viewed of classical BBC. sports broadcasts, right? Because it's old. It's been there for so freaking long. It's an institution. Now, I agree and I accept the point, right? And I think something that's really important is that um, our show proper, from the moment Picks and Bands starts, we're deadly fucking serious. Yeah. And, you know, if, if you go look at the LEC, we have three distinct sections to the show. Our pre-show, ready check. Then we have our five games. And then we have our post-show, post-game lobby. And they are distinct um, missions to them, right? Ready Check is focused on the talent. It's focused on setting up the day, the fun. It's where the shoutcasters get to express parts of their personality they don't get anywhere else. You then get five games of deadly serious coverage. Very, very few times do we go over the like over the top and like something magical, like the Shelka Miracle Run with God Gilius. That's what it takes for us to do like a ridiculous monologue during there. Like a team has to be on the verge of elimination and then have this magical run. But otherwise it is it is like 95% serious with the you know jokes here and there. And then finally post-game lobbies focused on the players. The long-winded point I'm trying to get to is that we have understood the DNA of our show, and it is inspired by the people that work on it, both on and off camera. And we have found a rhythm and a tone. And a, a voice that when the EU LCS was rebranded to LEC, we did brand definition workshops. You know, we looked at logos, we looked at inspiration, we we talked about what we wanted the soul of the show to be, and then we committed to it. And I think um, 
imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, I think is is how the saying goes. And if you look at many of our segments, well, they're just pretty much hardcore ripped off of something else that was awesome. You know, mediocre rap battles of history. Um, Where have we seen that before? LEC update, <laughs> weekend update. Where have we seen that before? Between two Ivern's, like yeah. we look at something that works, we put our spin on it, right? But that's also how the internet works. And I will challenge you on one area. Go watch any NBA pregame, any one of them. I don't care. And especially if Shaq is on it, yeah. they do even goofier stuff than we do. And do you want to know why I go NBA specifically? It's the most modern up-to-date, in touch with people that actually work in the internet out of any broadcast. NFL, stuffy and old. Premier League, stuffy and old. Cricket, nobody even knows what the fuck that is. Stuffy and old. Rugby, (laughs) stuffy and old. The only one that actually is like modern and kind of connected a little bit is NBA. It's the most up-to-date. And I think every other sport either has to adapt or die because I don't know about you guys, but when I have kids, they are not going to be watching cricket or rugby. You know, they're going to watch eSport. They're going to be evolved. They're going to be growing up with this industry. And, and this is what's going to be their influence is what's going to define the content that's being made. Well, they'll definitely watch six nations. Other than that, maybe not. See what I mean? <laughs> Stuffy and old. Go watch your BBC broadcast. That's boring. I, I mean, I don't watch the BBC, right? And there's a reason for that. But like the, I was just curious on like what what the origin of that had been. That's why I was asking the question. So it it, it comes down to the rebrand, and yeah. and that's what it is. Like in 2018, um, I don't know if Martin was actually involved in any of those sessions. Maybe you were. I think I was. Yeah. But we had like honestly huge dude. There's about 40 or 50 people that work in the Berlin office, and. The company that came in that worked with us, they ran so many freaking sessions with different groups. And they'd run the same session, but with different mixtures. They'd have one with a bunch of shoutcasters, then they'd have one with like one shoutcaster, one league ops, um, one events team, and see how the, the uh, answers and, and conversation differed. And then they came out with this this thing. It's like, right, here's your here's your buzzwords. How do you make those buzzwords a reality? Okay, interesting. So I I do want to um, push the conversation on a little bit now uh, away from LEC. How dare you! I know it's <laughs> let's talk twenty sixteen from me. day one till the end. <laughs> I wanted to ask um, more about the the difference and out, kind of leaning towards you here, Deficio. You mentioned right at the very start of the show, even before the intro, about how your transition went from being a caster to working in a team and how dramatically different your expectation was to what the reality of that was. And I kind of wanted to open that conversation up a little bit more and, and dig a little bit more into that on what were the stark differences between a team environment and the broadcast environment? Because obviously, like I, I've spoken to a lot of coaches and players about broadcast and their expectations of what a broadcast should be versus my expectations of what a broadcast should be are dramatically mm-hmm. different, right? And I'd imagine the same could be said about my expectations of what a team could be and the reality. So I was curious if you could kind of shed some light on what that transition was like and, and what the significant differences were. Yeah, I mean, it's a big question, that's a right? Huge question. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of things. Um, I guess the first one, because we are talking a lot about like casting prep and how do you prepare a show and so on. I think, I mean, the first thing is just how chaotic, how messy the team side can be, because uh, it's still such a young 
industry yeah. uh, on that side. And there are, there's a lot of people involved in a lot of different areas. And uh, we're still at the point where a lot of people come in from different areas, like different uh, sports or business or whatever, who don't have anything to do with esports. They get integrated into like an esports company and have to pick up all the the esports part of it and then integrate their own things from their from their experience and then you mix that with people who come purely from esports and that creates like a lot of different things um where you have to spend a lot of time on getting on the same page um i think on just the team side which is probably more interesting uh, for people to hear about um it's it's again like you so when you come from a broadcast things are pretty streamlined in a broadcast um where he's on the beer I can see he's <laughs> now now getting the beer. Um, so on a broadcast, everything is streamlined. Uh, you wake up on the first day of the year as a shoutcaster, and if you have signed like a, either if you have a full time contract or you have signed like a, a yearly contract, I assume that's what you guys were on in the LPL. You like committed for for the year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know pretty much how every single day is gonna go for the rest of that year, with the only pending thing maybe being international events. Um, and COVID, <laughs> and yeah, of course, COVID obviously makes it makes it very messy, right? But if we ignore COVID, you know how every day is gonna go. You know, you know, this is the period where I'm gonna prep, and then the broadcast will start here. It will start uh, every day at two o'clock, and I will have to show up at eleven. We're gonna do a rehearsal. I'm gonna get makeup. I'm gonna jump in my suit. Uh, we're gonna go live with the games. I'm gonna send out this tweet about going live. We're gonna do the games. I'm gonna go home, read Reddit, cry, go to bed, wake up, do the same thing the next day. And you just know that this is how everything's gonna go. And there's producers. Uh, there's just a plan. If you if you do differently as the only one, you're the one getting criticized because you are now making it harder for the producers or the graphics people or the other casters or whatever. So your your life is literally figured out. Um, that's it. Where on the team side, like every day, there's a chance you wake up and something is just completely different. Like nothing is ever the same. Nothing is ever streamlined. Um, and you get to work with so many different people. Uh, and then you add on the fact that it's a competition. Uh, much more than it is. I know as a casters, we like to compete against each other and we all want to get the world final and be number one and we want to give each other feedback and improve just like you would do on a team. But it's just different because you have people playing like their hearts out for their careers, trying to do the best they can to be as good as they can be. And they're playing against other teams which are doing exactly the same. Uh, there's constant competition, always pressure. Uh, you can have the most amazing week where you've done everything perfect in practice. And then you can go in and on the day, the one game you play in Europe is a best of one. The one game you play, something goes wrong. It, it, the draft or a, a player has a bad thing or whatever, and you lose. And now you look back at the entire week and you just hate it. You're like, ah, oh, everything is horrible. How do we lose this game? What's going on? Um, you can win the offseason according to the community by signing all the right players. And then something goes wrong along the year and you don't make worlds. Never happened to me, of course. Could happen to someone else. Um, so... <laughs> the unexpectedness and the messiness of, of the team side has been the biggest difference. And also how no one has figured things out uh, is the other one. I think on a broadcast, you have figured out a lot of things that works. On the team side, the only thing that's been truly figured out is if you sign really, really good players uh, and they end up mixing well together, you're going to be a great team. But you can't even predict that. Maybe they hate each other after three weeks. So there's no there's no certainty in, in this. 
maybe it's a little bit different because you like came from Copenhagen Wolves and you played and then you went into casting then into the role that you're in now. But what was the biggest misconception you had as a caster and then moving to team side where like you just completely didn't understand that this was actually a thing uh, that teams faced? Um, I was surprised about how poor practices for the majority of teams. Um, I thought from my time in 2013, when practice was obviously not the greatest, um, everything was online and there was no coaches, there was no structure. We just, we went in, we played, we finished the game, we would yell at each other if we lost, uh, and then we'd go into the next game. That's it. I think we spent like five minutes between games, you know, that was, that was it. Um, and now there is a structure where you like, you play, you have a review time and you play again, you have review time, you play again, you have a review time. But the amount of times I've seen practice games that lasted 20 minutes, there were 50 kills in those 20 minutes. So not even LPL can keep up with this. Yeah, I was going to say. Uh, <laughs> um, and you would, and people would gather after the game and they would just sit there and be like, uh, what, what should we talk about? I don't know. You know, uh, none of what happened in that game will ever happen on stage other than the first like three, four minutes. Um, the amount of times that has happened over the last couple of years has been one of the things where I really, really thought as a caster that it evolved way past how it was in 2013. Um, I thought that had definitely changed a lot. Uh, but practice is still done pretty much the same way. There's still a big issue with these kind of games where it's... So teams call it limit testing. Yeah. Uh, everyone is limit testing in practice. Uh, and when you do that, you get a million kills, you completely accelerate the game from a goal perspective, from an item perspective, and you end up getting typically either a bad read on certain matchups, certain picks, um, or you potentially don't get to practice important parts of the game because by the time you get there, uh, there's 50 kills, as I said, and and the game is over, right? Um, so I think that was a huge surprise for me and something I really now want to try and push like my team and my staff to try and change this mindset um, of, of how you approach like practice games. Yeah, because we've had like Peter Dunn we've had Grabs, and they've all kind of just said the same thing. Like the, the Mad Lions coach, the G2 coach, um, that the scrim culture and kind of the practice culture in Europe just needs to be reworked. Like, are you kind of in the same boat or like, what would you like to see change that would bring about the, the I suppose, a better style of play and practice for Europe? I mean, I, I agree. I think, I think limit testing a, a long way can be done in more isolated practice, one-on-one -on -one practice, 2v2 practice, depending on the lanes. I think you can have some practice sessions that are just like where people can kind of go like, I, what I call it is autopiloting. I, I think if you autopilot in a practice game, yeah, there's no pressure. It's very natural. There's an opening. I'm going to go for it. You know, it's fine. I, I, I don't need to think that I, I have to learn anything else but this specific champion or matchup. So it's fine. I, I can go for some aggressive plays. We see what happens. And it is a way to learn. And I think it is successful for some players. And I think it is successful for some games. But I think what ends up happening is a lot of teams end up maybe spending two or three days doing this. Uh, and end up losing a lot of games or lose time in a lot of games where they didn't maybe learn. Uh, so I think there needs to be potentially a, a big change in mindset of what 
are you trying to achieve in your practice game? I think a problem in League of Legends, and this is also a, a blame towards Riot, so Trevor, fix it. Um, <laughs> but a problem is that like there is no 5v5 sandbox mode. Um, you couldn't set up a game saying, okay, we only want to, like, so let's say we suck at late game and we play against a team also suck at late game, like Barons, Barons setups. Let's just take that as an example. You can't go in and set a practice game at 20 minutes, give everyone X amount of gold to buy whatever items they would roughly have around that time and say, okay, team one, uh, you're you're the one setting up for Baron Team B. You're trying to defend it and get control and set up your your control. Like that's again just uh, as an example. Yeah, yeah. You can't do that. You have to play the full game pretty much every time uh, in the way it is now, and that makes it really really difficult for coaches to say, okay, I have specific things I want to practice only, because then by the time you get to that thing. Something could have gone completely wrong in the game. Enemy jungler has already picked up three kills. So he's way stronger now when you're about to practice this eight-minute Herald than he normally would be. And you try and adapt to that. And then it happens the next game as well. And as a coach, maybe you're just like, okay, like, can I just get a normal setup, you know? Um, and these things can be really difficult in the way the game is now because of no proper practice tool. So I think that could be a huge change if that could be invented. Um, but yeah, I think it's a mindset thing. Does, does anybody know StarCraft 2? I don't know if anybody in chat knows StarCraft 2, but I think in StarCraft 2, they, they added a feature where you could load up a replay and you could practice certain fights. Like, you know, if you yeah, had a replay yeah. before. Yeah, that could be another thing, right? right? Like, um, I mean, I, I, I can't compare to this experience at all, but for some folks who, who didn't know, but I used to quote unquote compete in Call of Duty 4 Pro Mod. And I got to attend um, Antwerp Esports Festival in 2010. And I actually had a team from South Africa called Cube. We went over to practice. And we practiced at a place called Outpost on Fire. It's a particularly famous LAN venue in Antwerp. Um, and I got to play against Dignitas's Call of Duty team. So we went in there. And at the time, the SMG guy who I ended up befriending and, and still talk to to this day, his nickname's Fantasy. I was about to ask if that was the team of Fantasy it, on. It was. Yeah, he's it a was, friend of mine. Yes. Exactly right, and um, it's not a the, friend of mine. The, the very first map we played, I'm sure he would. They they expected just to roll these South African guys, and like my my mates and I, we had pretty good aim. We ended up winning the first half seven five, and the first to thirteen is the winner. After winning seven five, we then only won two rounds on the next half, and they beat us thirteen nine. Pretty close. We're like fuck yeah, we were pretty competitive for Dignitas, but then they went oh no no okay these guys actually think they're good. So then we played them on a map called Crossfire, and they beat us 13-1. They kicked the living shit out of us. And it just goes back to kind of the point that, that Martin just said, like, about mentality. They didn't treat us with respect or give us the proper focus because they thought they were just, like, significant. They still beat us without even really trying, okay? But then when they actually tried, they were so much better in every single way. And... Uh, that's such limited experience, but like, I think there's so many different ways to tackle this particular situation and tools, mentality, mutual agreement, like focus, professionalism. Like, there's so many angles to it that can can make it better. It's also hard though um, for players because the game changes so often, and it's like when you start most teams will practice monday through thursday in europe and then they play friday saturday and they don't have sunday off so they have one day off and that's it and then you're back to practicing again starting monday um 
And it is expected that when you show up for practice on a Monday, that if there are certain champions you maybe don't currently have in your pool, that you've been spending time you know, practicing these champions, preparing them, uh, especially if that's something that's been decided as a team that we want to include like these kind of picks. Uh, when there's a new patch, this goes for pretty much everyone if it is a patch with significant changes. So I think players end up spending pretty much too much time just on the game. Um, and it's the same game you play in solo queues, you play in scrims. So obviously it's slightly different what happens in the game, but it's still the same game. So I think it can be really, really hard if you already play, let's say, 10 hours each day um, to then go into a practice game and then instantly be able to have this mentality shift of, okay, wait, now it's practice, it's different, I have to do this instead. I think it can't be done, but I also understand why it's really hard to do because you are just in this grind during the season and you have to because the game again keeps changing you think you have the meta figured out turns out someone is doing something different now you have to pick that up and do that it's so different in like counter-strike we had the pleasure of obviously like following astralis and and they're they're their players they're their coach quite a lot where the game is so often the same where you're just more practicing different strategies, uh, different tactics, less than you necessarily have to learn like a new weapon every two weeks. And how does that change yeah. the weapon meta and what happens yeah. there? It allows you to have a lot more time where you're maybe not 100% focused on the game. So when you go into practice, um, you can tailor it a lot more and you, you can probably expect way more focus and, and that mentality shift a lot easier than in League of Legends, which is just this constant grind. And I honestly feel bad for players in the middle of a season when it's like, oh, new patches coming, great, more changes. And you're just watching these people like having to try and put in enough hours into their solo queue while also expected to show up for practice and perform you know, at, 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 at a top level in practice to gain something for, from it, to then go on stage and play. But obviously, again, this is part of the job and this is why they get paid the money they get paid. Um, but I can get, I understand why it's not easy to just that was, ship it. That was one of the things we heard from LPL players a lot was like, because it's seven days a week and you're playing potentially three best of threes that week, like the ability to actually go into practice. And even if you wanted to try something new, like say there was some fringe pick on the meta that you thought maybe this could be good. You just couldn't dedicate the hours to it because, well, you've just played, you know, potentially nine hours of League of Legends on stage, plus your scrim and prep and everything for those best of threes. And then you're going to go and play solo queue to try this thing out. Like it just meant there was just no time to try out anything other than what you planned basically for the next three weeks. This is your champion pool. Yeah, pretty much. And including new champs into your pool, if you're already a bit behind, can be super hard. Some players need a lot of practice on specific picks in order to pick them up. Um, so now you're trying to do that and then something changes in the game again and you have to pick up more champions while still need to learn this champion. Um, I know this was a case when like Kaiser uh, brought up like Wukong support uh, in, in Europe and there's a lot of European support. So we're like, wait, what? We have to play that now? Okay. Uh, and then they had to like shift over to playing the carry where, where the 80 carry was playing the support uh, and so on and that was really hard to do in the middle of the split uh, so some players can do it and or some players just find something that works and that's a huge benefit and especially in the best of one circuit like regular season you can literally get into playoffs just by having two to three like really good reads on on how to play the game that just nets you a couple of key wins 
in, in, in the middle of the split. Um, and and that, that can be enough, right, to, to get you in. It's not enough to win your playoffs. We've seen that. That's why G2 keep winning playoffs, right? You need to have more than that. Um, but it's enough to get you in. Um, and, and I think actually there was, you know, we were joking about uh, origin and, 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 and failing and so on uh, at the start of the show. Like, I think, funny enough, both summer splits, a huge issue for the teams um, I had despite having really, really good players who obviously were good enough to make playoffs, both splits, like we were really good both spring splits. Um, we had a, we actually failed both times to figure out like our own identity and what the best way to play the game was during the summer splits when things got really hectic, a lot of things were happening. Um, and that made it really hard for the team. And they were always like on the back foot because of that. Um, and while, yes, it was close to get into playoffs every time, you lost like one or two games because of this. And that's enough to put you out of playoffs. Um, and then everything is a failure, right? So I think that's a really difficult thing. Uh, and and I always feel bad for for players and coaches when I watch them and they have to try and figure this out. Uh, and they have like, there's a deadline every time. Next Friday, next Friday, next Friday, next Friday. Yeah. You have to figure it out. You have to be ready. You have to be ready. Um, and you don't know what the other team is preparing. So it's it's always tricky. But then, it's also and, part of what I love about the sport, right? And then you're just there like, I'm so glad I took a backseat on this stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm like, wait, let me just call we, up someone else. Yeah. We actually joked a little bit on broadcast. We were like, okay, at what point does Martin get involved? And then uh, at what point is Martin told to get the fuck out the kitchen? And, and when does he step back into the kitchen? You know, like... There, there was in spring. It we never, we never attributed the success to Martin of Origin no, Spring in 2019, but all of the problems of summer 2019 we attributed to Martin because <laughs> it was a, it was a sexy story to sell, you know. And the, it, I'm it, happy with that. I always want to take the blame. I'll tell mm-hmm. every fan already: flame me <clears> instead <throat> of my players. Every time, I'm perfectly fine with that. Uh, I went through all of this as a caster anyway. It's all good. You guys can just go ham. Uh, I have no problem with it. But I, I think like it's always interesting, right? Like, who failed in a team game? Was it one person's fault that this didn't work? Was it all the players, all the coaches, the entire organization? You you've never watched know. enough. You've watched enough NFL to be able to look and go. The head coach is gone. If something. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. there, there, there are some. There are some people who want the answer to what went wrong, and there are some people who want to see a head roll to the question of what went wrong. That is true. There is so little knowledge. Like I've never been team side, right? And and the closest I've ever been to team side is both my husband and wife in esports work for teams, right? And I they do now, right? They do now, (laughs) but they used to be competing. so I've, I've only ever learned stuff the very secondhand and very much on a need-to-know basis, right? Because, you know, obviously with Beck and I being in the same house together, I have to keep Riot stuff away from her and she has to keep Misfit stuff away from me. But I don't, I don't see it. And I'm close. I'm married to somebody in, in a team. And I don't have a full understanding of what goes right and what goes wrong and whatnot. So how the hell are fans and people watching able to figure stuff out, right? Like what Martin was talking about a little bit earlier, uh, a little bit earlier, there's no 
standard practice in esports teams. You know, what might work for most European teams may not fly in NA, may not fly in South Korea, may not fly in in China. And unlike traditional sports, there is still a lot of development and growing and progress to be made, both on my side, like predominantly broadcast and, and, you know, our side rather, except for Martin now, and then on the team side as well. Like there's still a lot of change coming. But just to add to that as well, like I think in every sport, you can, as we talked about earlier, you can do drill drills, right? Like, oh, we have a problem as an, I don't know, NBA team shooting threes. So we can literally go in and just practice shooting threes for the next like week if we want to. Yeah. Um, and hopefully that's going to make a difference. Yeah. Uh, again, we can't do that properly in, yeah. in league. So figuring as a coaching staff, if you're able to figure out how to properly like create concepts, um, be able to break these concepts down with your players to something that people can easily understand, even like both outside the game and within the game itself, which is obviously a completely different world when you're playing in the game and when you're just sitting and watching a VOD. Um, and, and especially reminders, Right, I think reminders is like a key thing. Okay, right, eight minutes. Uh, so we're reaching seven minutes. So I know because you talked about lane swaps for Herald, like the first Herald at eight minutes. Uh, this was a big one for us, where it was like, okay, at seven minutes, a rule was made that our jungler at seven minutes had to ask every time Herald is spawning, what are we doing? Are we swapping for it? Are we contesting it if they start it? What's the state of the game right now? And it was just to prompt the conversation, which would then put everyone's mind towards yeah. that eight-minute herald. Um, and it fixed that problem for us. Uh, that wasn't the reason we, we ended up losing games because it forced people to go, oh, right, uh, actually, we we have push on bottom side or like we have a stronger 2v2 bot. So jungler, if you can go towards mid so we can get prior mid into securing fake fake roam towards bot side now our bot lane can actually shove out they can get early recalls so we have tempo and they can go to herald at eight minutes right like let's say that's the, the the scenario that's something you can like create and practice and and so on um but it's once you go further into the game there's more and more things that can be really really difficult um so yeah the drilling is is is, is a big problem um and that's hard but i i always i find it really fascinating because uh, you asked me also what 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 was the one of the things that surprised me, hmm. and what surprised me is how many disagreements there are about the game itself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> within a team. Like if you yeah. think it's uh-huh. crazy on Twitter with like Twitter analysts and casters and fans on Reddit, who obviously are nothing as part of the sport, sit and argue the game with each other. I always, <laughs> I, I love it. I absolutely love Everyone's it. Everyone's diamond on Reddit, of course. Yeah, I, I love it. It's part of the sport, man. It's what makes it fun. But even within a team, yeah. I've had draft meetings that lasted hours and we would walk out of that draft meeting and I was just a fly on the wall and nobody had actually figured out a clear idea of what we were supposed to do because they just kept disagreeing on so many things. And the game is so hard that there is so rarely a right and wrong in this game. That's the key thing, right? Is that so much about the game, especially when it comes to draft, is subjective. Because it depends on the players that you have. It depends on the players that they have. It depends on the style of game you want to play. It also just depends on opinions of like, what is good what is strong what counters what because like what happened in practice like this 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 i, I was talking to uh nico de pico at an event ages and ages ago 
And uh, one of the things that he said to me that really stuck with me was when he was working with Caps um, on, on Fnatic, one of the frustrating things for them was that Caps was too good in scrims. So yeah, you never got a good idea of what a mid lane matchup looked like because Caps mm-hmm. would win both sides of the matchup. So then your entire perspective of the meta is yes. totally warped because... Your mid always wins. How the how the fuck do you practice being behind yep. in 15 minutes when your mid lane always has three kills and scripts? It's not possible, right? So, and you can't tell your guy, hey, stop winning so hard. Like that that doesn't work. It's true, but the good thing when you have that kind of player is when you prepare the draft for for the official game. No matter what he says, he wants to play. You're like super Bane confident. Mid. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, great, <laughs> nice, pick that. And then you have the feeling that you just won draft because he got one of the 150 champions. So you're like, nice. Um, and and that's gonna work until you face like one of the best mid laners in the world, which in the early stages of Cap's career was a problem because then when he faced the very 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 best, he did actually sometimes get stomped yeah. uh, because he maybe didn't have the perfect knowledge, but I think he's gotten a lot better there. But one yeah, of, that's 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 the thing. One of my favorite, favorite memories, and I don't know if you casted this event with me, Deficio, but I think that you did. It was one of the early IM Katowice's, and Froggen was on the analyst desk. I was hosting yes. the AD. And at the time, Carthus Mid and LeBlanc was a yes. huge talking point. And at the time, everyone was just like, look, LeBlanc, like shit's on Carthus, LeBlanc is better. Froggen came out, or, or Faker came out, I can't remember who said it first, but one of them said, look, Karthus wins that matchup. And I, think the it was, internet... I think it was Froggen, and was... then Faker corroborated. And then Faker. Yeah. There yeah. we go. Right, so Froggen said it, right? The internet lost its fucking mind. And then Faker came out and said, Froggen is right, Karthus yep. wins. Yep. So I specifically, um, very fortunately, was quite close to Froggen at the time. And I said to him, look, would you be comfortable if I brought this up? I'm like, it's everywhere on Twitter. Every Twitter analyst in the world is talking about how you're wrong. And uh, they, they're too afraid to say fake is wrong, but they definitely know you're wrong. Um, and read it. And basically, the whole point I want to get to is that once he actually spoke about it, he broke down in detail how if you play Karthus and if you use your entire mana pool, level one, yep. hit every single Q, you push them out of the lane, you get control of the lane, you get an early back, you get an early uh, level advantage, and therefore you're in the lead. And my follow-up question, I thought I was so proud of. I said, yeah, okay, but you know, what happens if you miss a Q? And he goes, I don't. And I went, no, no, no. Yep. But what if you do? And he goes, you don't. You hit every cue. This is how Carthus wins. And that forever for my entire career will be imprinted into my brain because there are very, 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 very few players that will look you dead in the eye live on broadcast to hundreds of thousands of people and go, what if you miss a skill shot? And he goes, I don't. And like at that time, Frogum was also one of the guys that when he said that, the internet went, Okay, I'll let you slide, but no one the fuck else, right? <laughs> no one else can say that. Frog in Europe in, in 2013-14, fine. You get a pass. And then again, it just warps your entire perspective of everything because you've got this one person that can do something nobody else can. It's a beautiful thing about the yes. game, but yeah. it's also why the game is mainly built around a core audience who actually play the game and watch a lot of the game. Otherwise, you're going to get really confused when the analyst desk has that conversation about Carthus versus LeBlanc. Like, why is this such a big deal? Um, and and if you don't actually understand the champions super well, I don't think you can even join the conversation or even as a spectator, enjoy it. Because you're like, wait, what does Carthus do again? Who, who, who is he exactly? Like, you need to be super into the game 
to yeah. follow these kind of conversations. Um, and yeah, it's interesting. Um, but definitely on the team side, it's been one of the most frustrating things is watching people debate the game for hours. I thought it was going to be funny. <laughs> uh, yeah, but just how hard it can be to find a conclusion that everyone agrees with. And some at some point, the coach just steps in and says, all right, this is our conclusion to this. No more talking. <laughs> this is what we're doing. And that's how it is. And then you go in and play the game and then you lose. And then the guy who oh, thought he was no. right, he's like, I just want to bring this up again. I just want to say, <laughs> we shouldn't be doing this. And then like, oh my God, here we go again. Uh, but it's part, of, it's part of it. You know, yeah. you need to have these conversations. I think every coach will join in on that and say, man, it's been hours, days we've been debating this. Yeah, I, I think the, the hilarious thing is like, you're, you're, you're talking about that as one of the things that was like a surprise to you, moving from broadcast to a team side. Honestly, in my experience in broadcast, the same things happen. Like, <laughs> Colorcast is arguing about the way that the game is meant to be played and which team is better. Like, play-by-plays and Colors arguing about True. narratives and who the better team is and who the better player is. There is there is one key difference. In between. One very key difference, Mr. Feeney, is that our jobs are not on the line if you get the wrong <laughs> read, right? True. And I agree with you. And I also very think, true. I also think when we argue off-air, and I have argued with Martin, and I've argued with my entire cast and team and everybody I've worked with, you end up finding a middle ground because your end goal is not what will win, what is the best. Your end goal is, is it entertaining? Oh, is our argument fun? Should we try and capture that and do it again? Or, oh, I've just learned something, right? Like, the, I think the pressure is, is slightly different. It and is. then if anybody else is on the sideline and like you see a, a hugely animated, I've had producers that have stopped debates and gone, I don't care. It's going in the show. Don't talk about it. You are forbidden from discussing this topic amongst yourselves. I will speak to you privately and I will speak to you privately and I'll get your graphics requests. And I want this argument on air. Yeah. And, and I think, Sorry, sorry. I no, I, I no, 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 you're good. No, I'm just, um, I'm very excited. <laughs> I know, it's, yeah, right, it's a fun conversation. Good. I think there's two two parts to add to that as well. On the broadcast, as a caster, this is my number one caster tip to any color caster out there. You don't have to know everything. No. You, can, you can literally sometimes just say, wow, they just locked in vain. I'm just excited to see what it can do. <laughs> And that's actually acceptable. That's, that's, that's casting. You have just built a storyline you can follow in the game. What I see from a lot of casters, and I don't know why this is a thing, is they feel they have to explain everything. Oh, Vayne has been locked in. I actually have no opinion of this pick. I have no knowledge of if it's good or not. I haven't followed this pick for but half a year. I will commit and say, this is an awful idea. Yes, I'm tell people, this fucking sucks, man. How, why did they pick this? This is so garbage. Why would they pick it into this champion and this champion and this champion? And then the moment the game is over, Vayne has just won. Uh, the player tweets, man, Vayne is so good into this champion and this champion and this champion for these reasons. And then the entire thread is just, this cast is so stupid. Oh my God, how can he do this? And I was like, you don't have to. You can literally just leave it and just make it exciting. And ooh, let's see what's what's going on. Uh, and that's it. You can't do that on the team side. Uh, yeah. You can't go into the draft saying, guys, let's pick it and see what happens. Ooh, it's going to be awesome. You know, like that, that doesn't work. So you don't have that. But I also think on the caster side, we always have a, we have a step up uh, if we have an argument. If you and I had an argument about a pick, you know, is Cassidy in mid good? We can always go to a pro player or a coach and say, hey, what's your opinion? Is Cassidy in good? 
we can go to one guy if we trust that guy, uh, or we can go to multiple people, doesn't matter. We can go out and gather information, and then we can use that ourselves in how we want to present this argument. Again, you can't do that as a team. You're not calling the other team saying, by the way, do you think Kassadin is good? Just, just want to know, you know, we're definitely not going to pick it. Like that doesn't work. So as a team, you're isolated. You have to find the answer yourself and you have a deadline because you're about to play a game and you need to get it right. As a caster, you can literally just call 7 million people if you want to, or you can just go on air and be super adamant about it on your own. That's obviously <laughs> fine too. It does depend on uh, the brand that you're building as well, because certainly there are some some brands that have thrived within that environment of being the sure. center of all knowledge, right? That's a pretty common. Uh... That's that's the most exciting thing is you get to pick, you know, like <clears throat> I'm deep down at my soul and my core, I'm quite a pessimistic individual and I, I don't really like too many people and I like being alone and and. Um, I'm sure, you know, your I, wife is happy I to keep hear to that. myself, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but on broadcast, the, the person that is the character that is is quick shot is always enthusiastic, you know, always love. And I genuinely, genuinely love, you know, competitive video games that I've played and I've watched for such a long time. I've watched so many esports. I honestly think the three of you could add up the number of years you've watched esports together, and I still think I will beat you. Like I, I, I watched cell phone racing games in the early two thousands. Has anybody even heard of asphalt racing? I watched the I, I world championship. There we go. You know everyone. You've casted everything. Like... Now, the point, the point that I want to bring it back to is that when you are on broadcast and when you are presenting a brand or a personality, you get to pick and choose how you, how you, you perceive or how you present, right? And like Martin just said, Martin was always very, very good at being deliberate with information. And, and he did it to ensure that what he was saying would be correct at all times. And if he wasn't 100% certain or could validate it, would be very intelligent with how he would maneuver those, those other positions. I've always had a flair for the dramatic. And what I would do is I would take the pick, is casted in mid good? I would find a player that everybody knows but doesn't trust. And I'm like, well, listen, I don't know. I will dominate says this is the best mid lane pick ever. And everyone's like, seriously, why are you trusting Dom? And Martin many times would look at me and be like, what are you doing now? Like he would <laughs> roll his eyes and be like, why do I have to save your ass again? You know, because he's presenting his brand and his perception in one way. And, and I'm doing mine for different purposes or different goals. And then you kind of meet in the middle and you make something that's fun yeah. and, and exciting, you know? So you've got a much, a much, much, much safer playground than what you do team side. See, Who's I... the person on the LPL broadcast who is so different on camera versus real life? Because as Trevor just said, an he asshole. Just... Munchables is a fucking <laughs> asshole. That's it? Okay, so he's... he's <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, I, literally, nothing is, uh, it's all completely real. Uh, yeah. right. But nothing, you guys, you, you always know the person who changes everything about him the moment the broadcast goes goes live, right? Like the way he talks, his energy. As Trevor just said, I remember multiple times that I hated him for it. I always hated it. Like five seconds before he gets tossed to the caster desk, 
Trevor's like with the producer or something. Like he's like, yeah, but but half half. No, mm, we don't want that. And then you hear the shucks who talking over to the concert. He's like, yeah, but but. And then the moment he's like, hello, hello everyone. <laughs> yes, we're so excited. Everything is fantastic here. And I'm just like, Jesus, man. Like five seconds ago, you were so grumpy. You were so annoyed about everything. And then you just he like makes that change. So there must be someone on the LPL broadcast who's doing the same. But it's just like different voice different tone something i actually like for the most part like people are fairly close to what they are like yeah. lyric is a pessimistic bastard i was anyway, gonna say so i don't want to call him on <laughs> yeah. i feel like me and lyric are probably the closest to that because i've had a lot of days where i'm i like when i have bad moods i get really grumpy but obviously i'm never going to be grumpy on show but rob will tell you i'll I, like i pace around the living room i'll pace around <laughs> the studio like circling behind him and stuff and then it's like oh 30 seconds till live sit down get ready sit down where yeah. we go it's funny i thought i thought lyric was the opposite of me because in especially on the world championship we'd have conversations like on discord or, or in rehearsals mm-hmm. he'd be super jolly super happy and like really nice then we get to show and then it's just deadly serious and welcome to the lpl yeah. breakdown and this is why they're going to win and i was like whoa he's like opposite trevor <laughs> super <laughs> super bubbly and kind of happy to be integrating off air and then on air just like super serious well you, he's yeah. definitely um with the lyric i one of the things that i struggled with when we first started casting together was obviously he was a coach that became a caster and had never cast before and my sense of humor is dramatically different to his sense of humor so one of the big struggles for me was kind of like you guys were talking about earlier with uh deficio you and d-man how reddit basically thought you guys didn't like each other there was a reddit comment about i think munchables hates lyric because like (laughs) do you i don't hate lyric i don't just to quickly clarify i don't hate lyric i heard the pause (laughs) i heard the pause i'm even (laughs) acting right now this isn't the real me this is a big issue. I'll message um, separately. Hang on. Give me one. <laughs> but like the trying to get that humor right and trying to figure out how to get him out of his shell, out of just pure because the guy's a brain box of the game, right? He will just spew analytics at you if if unprompted. But you it, like the almost I feel like when I'm casting with Lyric, part of the job is to try and move away from just analytics and and lyrics in chat actually I've just seen it. But like <laughs> one of one of the one of the fun things about casting with Lyric is when we do get off the the beaten path, we go down some crazy rabbit holes. But you just gotta get him off of that track and, and onto just hey, let's have some fun with this. Especially when it's like I- Rogue Warriors playing because he loves that team, but they are terrible. Can I tell you? Can I tell you the biggest secret that I wish more shoutcasters would do, and not enough people listen to me? Just tell the viewers what you're gonna do. Like I'm not being funny, right? But our viewers are smart, and our viewers know that the type of games they're watching, the type of shows they're watching. If you're casting a load of shit, I don't use those exact <laughs> words, right? Don't use those exact words. But like, you can find a real subtle way to be like, "Hey, guys." We're in for a ride today. So let's get the clown hats on and the party yeah. poppers and see where this takes us, right? Like, if you signpost what you're going to do and you warn people, hey, guys, this is going to get a little weird because we're 75 minutes into a game that 15 inhibitors have gone down, bear with me, right? And people give you that safety. But 
you also need to have some credibility that like when things get serious and intense that you can then like nail it. But I just wish more people would like tell the viewers what they're going to expect and then allow them to decide, did I like it or not? Well, they told me they were going to do it. I can forget about it and I won't (laughs) flame the fuck out of them on socials. We we have done that a couple of times on LPL. I don't remember what the series was specifically, but we referred to it regularly as the circus fiasco. It's in like clown fiesta, right? And it was, uh, I, I forget what the matchup was, but it, it basically didn't matter in the standings. They were both already out of playoffs. Like, we knew the players didn't care. We knew yeah. that they were two pretty terrible teams anyway. Like, there was no way this was going to be a high-quality best of three. But you knew it was going to go to three games because it always does in those kind of matchups. So you know you've got, <laughs> like, two wars. hours of this. So yep. it's like, just buckle in, boys and girls. We're here for the ride. Like, let's just see isn't, where this Isn't goes. that just because I feel like a lot of esports fans that are watching the game with you, like... They don't yeah. need you to present the game specifically. Yeah. Sometimes they're just watching it with you, and they just want to. They want you to say the things that they are thinking already. Yeah. You know, they want um, you to confirm also, their beliefs. Yeah, yeah. They just, they <laughs> just, they just want to hear that. You know, I mean, like there are some games where, you know, especially Martin and I. I think Martin, myself, um, Ifia, <clears throat> in the developmental years of Berlin and ULCS, like we were really trying to define our style and and especially when Crepo was there with us as well. And we we're very gameplay focused for a while. And then we kind of had to learn that our, our viewers did not really love that direction. Like we had to look internally to figure out how we want to pivot and change it. So we start to figure out, well, what is, what is the content we want to produce? What is the stuff that we want to do? And how do we do it for the viewers? And you end up making like, let's say 85% of all your content is predominantly about the teams and the fans. Then about 10% of the content is a little bit selfish. It's me or Martin or Various or whoever else. And then 5% is the crazy, dumb, ridiculous things that you just, you shouldn't do. You probably shouldn't be doing, but you know it'll work. And like when we had the 0-13 Rock at Origin game, <laughs> Martin and I <laughs> fought for it, right? Like we went into a story meeting that weekend and said, listen, this is going to happen we're going to do this and we're going to tell everyone it's ridiculous and we're going to, we literally prepared graphics with party hats. The graphics we had for party hats is still being used to this day as a celebration graphic because of how successful it was and how stupid it was. We've added <laughs> confetti to graphics now, but we went in with a game plan. We told everyone it was going to be silly and then we got literally a 70 plus minute ridiculous, ridiculous game <laughs> that will go down in history as one of the best... Yep. The best worst games that has ever happened. We had first blood at like forty-five minutes. Oh I, god! In, I in, in, in the game, you must remember. So, yeah. okay, so to, I'm sure you remember the game. So, Origins mid laner was Nehun. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah. Who ended up playing in the LCK actually, like <laughs> <laughs> you know later, and actually did 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 fine. But so he was the mid laner, and he hadn't won a game yet from when he joined Origin. I think Xpeko was 80 carry, right? Correct. Xpeko yeah, must have been 80 carry at this point. I remember this. And uh, so Rocket was, what I remember most of was they had Memento as the jungler. And he and he picked Lee Sin. And I remember in draft being like, okay, if, if, you, if you're playing in this matter, you have to be active in the early game. Like stuff has to happen for this pick to work out. And he was the one who got first slot at 45 minutes, uh, if I remember 100% correctly. And the whole game was just such a 
God I'm, I'm also I'm not being funny on this one, right? But not only did that happen, then both teams fucked up every single baron. I think there was four or five barons. The game ran until 73 or 75 minutes, and I believe there was 16 or 17 inhibitors killed. Right? Hand oh on my heart. Both teams were killing it. It also got to the point that ZZ Rot portals were being used to just to defend the base because there was no Nexus turrets left. And I think at one point there was like two or three ZZ Rots. It's Probably. ridiculous. Like chat is <laughs> chat is currently saying it was six barons and seventy eight minutes, right? Six Jeez. barons, <laughs> and then <laughs> and then Rocket won, right? I think Rocket won the first game. So Zero didn't even win his first game. Correct. Correct. Oh no! But Zero then he won 13. the next one. He did, and we had we had party hats. We had confetti. That confetti stayed on set for for like over a month and a half. Yeah. People just didn't clear it. It was just like. This confetti needs to stay here. <laughs> but it was so before the show. It's uh, before the show. Uh, we went to Kaufland, which is close to the studio uh, out in Atlas. It's like pound. Uh, it's like Poundland. Think Poundland. Oh, okay, right. okay, okay. Like I thought he said Kaufland, and I was like, "Are we playing Diablo? What's no, going no, on no, here?" No, <laughs> so it's called Kauf, Kaufland, um, and we were just walking around trying to look for props, and there wasn't a full clown set up but we found the noses <laughs> and then we bought a party set with the confetti i don't even know if trevor knew about the confetti before he was like popped up i didn't know about the confetti i didn't know about the confetti you surprised me with the confetti because i also think producers said no because it would be a mess that yeah, everybody would clean up so naturally well, when did, did we anyway. ever listen yeah no, no we never did ask, for, for, ask did. for forgiveness not for permission right there yeah. we go there we go have you learned that from trevor by the way no, I it's learned, pretty, I learned it's a, it's that from my boss, saying. weirdly. Uh, okay, one of my old okay. bosses. But, yeah. I Martin learned, learned it from his boss, too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Who, by the way, at the time was not my boss. Just <laughs> want to put that in there. It happened when I left. So. Oh, man. Not well, my boss. It would have left sooner, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that was the reason. Yeah, that was part of the transfer. <laughs> Couldn't deal with the power dynamic. Oh man. Well, I, yeah, I, I do just want to quickly say Lyric corroborated my story earlier in chat as well. So shout outs to Lyric. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Oh man. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy the uh some of the differences that one of the one of the things that stood out to me in this conversation that I want to just quickly go back to was the idea of um like viewer expectations versus uh reality essentially, especially when it comes to to players. Because uh, we were talking, I realized it's kind of a tangent at this point. It was relevant a while ago, but I, just I don't even know what this show is about, dude. <laughs> yeah. There is not really that much. We're kind of just having a good time. Doesn't watch the LPL. Doesn't watch Bevies with the boys. I mean, come on. <laughs> but it, there was there was a part where we were, we were talking about the concept of like uh, winning the off season, right? And like um, what the the viewers have this crazy expectation of this is what teams should be doing, even when like as you're saying, quick show, you don't have an expectation of what these teams should be doing while you're living with someone from the team, like how it's crazy. And I, I wanted to bring up the topic of like confirmation bias, both within the audience and within broadcast and how much you guys think that's a, a, how much of a big deal it is, whether you think it's negative or positive. Cause I definitely think within viewers, there's like a huge amount of confirmation bias of like the first game I saw of this guy, he sucked. Therefore this right. guy sucks. And every play you see was his teammates carrying him or whatever. Like yeah, you find true. a reason for that story to stay as it is in your yeah. head, right? It's a very real thing. 
like how much do you guys think that is um a thing within the way audiences see it and how much do you think it is a thing within the way that we as casters see sort of players because i know i've dude I've done it is variable you cannot ask a question like that and expect a clean answer like you have just opened a pandora's box especially what you what you don't know is the gentleman sitting on my head right now has actively explored this exact topic with us now when we were on broadcast martin was one of the people that would challenge challenge these notions a lot right and I'm somebody who uses confirmation bias as a means to an end. It's it's an entertainment tool. But in my role and also in my brand, when I say something and confirm something or use weird logic to get to an answer, there's not people that take it as seriously, so to speak. Martin, on the other hand, has to wield his confirmation bias and his analysis, you know, information with a lot more care and respect, not only because it impacts him, but also the relationship he has with everybody else, right? It plays a huge part in every single thing that we do. And there is a responsibility for every shoutcaster and every broadcast to be informed and aware and also to understand that sometimes you will inadvertently create a topic, right? Accidentally create a scenario and that you then have to spend a lot of concerted effort and time to try to rectify it and try to balance it out. But the big thing is sometimes that information doesn't become aware to you unless people tell you and the reason that i started this whole rap by talking about martin in particular is martin's one of the few very very few people that truly 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 understands and appreciates the nuance and the power that words actually have and he will very regularly have conversations hey this player or this part of the game or the way that the broadcast presents this piece of information could be perceived this way is that a good thing? And he'll never say it's bad. I don't like you. He'll just like let me let me lead you to water, my son. Let me let me see if if you can figure it out. Um, but I truly appreciate it because I know I'm very quick to jump to just like an end state, and I don't often stop to think about the way that you present yeah. information or the the facts that I choose to share influence people's opinion. Do you have an example of of a thought or what or something that was said that that you guys can think of specifically that was like uh hmm, maybe this shouldn't be the way that this is construed i i, I know just i have... give him the origin example trevor you want to do it <laughs> the, the thing is i'm trying to not i'm trying to not go with maurice i'm trying to be a little bit more um i want to be a little bit more like personal on this one and i think this is this is a story that anybody who's watched long enough will know i've never really bought into the hype of nuke duck even when he was really good. All right, I'm out. I so never I'll see you guys next time. And the reason, <laughs> the reason I dive, like, I want to dive into that one is like, I think if you go a couple of years back, Martin has always, always, always been like very, very close to players and to pro teams, and, and always been aware of like how good Nuketuck could be. But Martin, you have to give me that he did not deliver on the hype most of the time. And I think this is a contentious player who the confirmation bias, whether you're on the fucking Nuketuck hype train or not, every single person that's watched our show will know, understand, believe, or hate Year of the Duck. But either way, I think it's one of the most like quintessential examples of this story. Because leading up to Year of the Duck, where he actually was good, and I had to agree with it at that time, 
he had not performed at that level. Everyone else branded them in, but I felt like I was in a fucking loony bin because on stage, he was not doing what people were saying he was doing, but I was the weird one. But every pro and every color cost, like, he's great, he's great, he's great. So I'm like, where? I don't see it. Like, you're full of shit. You've got confirmation bias from off camera. I've got it from on camera. And I don't know, it's just, it's, it's, it's the best example, I think, that will not get us into trouble in terms of recency bias. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it's only fair. Deficio, do you have a rebuttal on, on how great Nuke Duck has been this entire time and why he is God's gift to the mid lane? And I mean, I think there's a couple of players like Nuke Duck who are great examples of people who've been around the scene for a while and they've had, you know, a lot of ups and downs uh, in terms of results, right? And That's a very think, political sentence. Yeah, <laughs> See yeah. what I mean? Look how so, deliberate he is. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. I think the from a... Let me break it down in some different ways. So there's a couple of things that Nuketo brings that's ex- exceptionally good, which is what a lot of pro players and professional teams, of course, get get drawn towards. Um, so one is his his impact in a team when it comes to like reviews and when it comes to talking about the game. Um, he is exceptionally smart. And uh, another thing is just his his individual skill. Like just in a vacuum, just as as, as a player is, is is good. Now he does have some problems, obviously, uh, which is why he's not been able to consistently, let's say, carry a team with worse teammates as other mid laners have been able to do, or why he hasn't been consistent with with his results. Um, I don't want to share them because I do think some of them are. Uh, it's a little bit unfair to sit and and, and share that uh, for for other teams to use, but I will accept that that was a great name to bring up on Trevor's side because it is one that has so much controversy. controversy. It's a very controversial name. <laughs> yes, yes let's change it to that. Um, <laughs> because of his mixed results, he's been in the scene for so, for so many years, but uh, I will never back down from the fact that Nuke Duck is a good mid laner. Um, but he does have things, of course, that he can't get better at, which would make him even better as a player. But yes, good example, Trevor. Um, <laughs> I thought you were going to bring up the one about uh, the broadcast in spring this year. There's a lot of talk about Borigen, you know, like uh, <laughs> the, the boring Origin games. And I remember coming into playoffs when we changed our style also towards the end of, of spring and there was a lot more action happening and it was a lot more aggressive. The narrative, at least it felt like from our side, didn't change. It remained the same. Oh my God. Oh, Origin, wake me up in 30 minutes. Uh, and we were like, what? We're like going toe-to-toe with G2 in this best of five as, by the way, the only team in that playoffs. Um, and I remember calling up Trevor and having a long conversation about but this. But it was a healthy conversation. It was and a this, great conversation. This, I got is, this to, is the important I, thing. I got the broadcast point of view. I got to say my point of view. And in yes. the end, it was more of a like, hey, maybe sometimes we should rethink the narrative in and case also, 
maybe we should talk sooner, you know? And like, yeah, sure, sure. Because, um, you know, it is one of those things where it's just like, you know, the original point of the question was just like how that confirmation bias uh, and how. And it was there from regular season, which was boring. Like, I mean, yeah. it was. There was like literally. So I can even, I can say that, like, we, we came into Spring Split and as a team, we sat down and we said, okay, these are the players we have. This is the meta. What's the most yeah. effective way to win best of ones? It's literally to play this one style. So we played that one yep. style every game, which was um, we would have uh, strong uh, laning bot that could always just, you know, do well on its own. And then our jungler would would look towards our solo laners, uh, of course, Alfari and Nukedog in this case. And they would ideally be on champions uh, especially Alfari, that yeah. would uh, win 1v1 later in the game. Uh, so that way, because Alfari was the best laning top laner in regular season, uh, as long as he never fell behind, which he couldn't because he had his jungler right there, plus he's an exceptional laner, he would outscale 1v1. We would just play 1-3-1 for literally the entire game at the moment laning phase was over, and the enemy team was just pressured in pretty much every lane, and we knew at some point they would try and make a play or they would like uh, make a mistake in how they were setting up on the map and we would get some sort of advantage and it was low kills low action it was literally just playing on waves not very exciting so i think the narrative was 100 percent fair <laughs> in every way um but then when that changed and you know sometimes it can be hard then to change your mindset so but i think also that's like sometimes i read reddit and I go to my, I think to myself, why am I reading this? Like, oh, this annoys me so much to read. But then five minutes after, I'm like, no, actually, I don't mind. Because this is the kind of conversation that's healthy for the sport. If we don't have conversations about the teams, the players, the casters, the whatever, I think people will lose interest. And I think the fact that we have such a huge community, so many opinionated people, uh, both on Reddit, Twitter, whatever it is, keeps creating this interest yeah. in what we're doing you know when people praise something people want to go watch that because oh my god this is getting praised i want to watch this player i want to watch this yeah. caster i want to watch this broadcast whatever it is uh when people are getting flamed people also want to watch that because they're like wait yeah. i want to see why is he getting flamed? <laughs> what's going on here um so the fact that people are so opinionated about things can be really really annoying at times but it's ultimately for the better of our entire industry because it just keeps people interested also there's a time limit on it like i i feel so sorry for that that much because martin and i have talked so fucking much <laughs> the last two hours this, are we live oh, good. i thought like, <laughs> like, like the we this, is, this is free drinks yeah <laughs> yeah um, but i think i i think there's a bit of a time limit on it right i think as um as everything continues to grow and everything begins to to change a little bit, I think eventually some of the rawness of this will, will go away. I can't imagine any other sport in the world where a fucking NBA team will play badly during the regular season, change for the playoffs, and the GM will call the head of broadcast and be like, yo, bro, did you see how we play around those threes? We've been drilling that shit for weeks and you didn't even say it, right? Like... I think just, just like just like every industry, there's also a time limit on how long Reddit and Twitter will be able to, to directly talk to the four of us in this call and every other pro and player. If if everything keeps growing, at some point 
there will be social media managers that look after all of our accounts and the pro players accounts. And then there'll be agents that hire social media managers to then look after all the social platforms, right? Like you go look at any industry that, that grows and grows and grows. And I do think there is a very, very real possibility that this level of intimacy and this level of roller coaster will eventually peter out a little bit for the most part, right? And then <laughs> and then the roller coaster chatting shit on camera. <laughs> you see what I mean, right? And like it it's one of those things where I don't know, maybe I'm just the old man in the groom and and maybe I I, I want to live in that future already and that's kind of what I'm heading towards. But mm-hmm. I I definitely like I want to savor it and I definitely want to enjoy the craziness. Um yeah. to be able to like drink chat shit and smack spank someone's ass and be celebrated for it <laughs> because that would have got us cancelled if we'd done that last year instead of five years ago or three years ago like we we would be cancelled now right like the world changes and how how you and i have got away with some of the things <laughs> that we have in the in, in the political climate you know i'm very fortunate i think it's a testament to the relationship that we both have but also who we are as individuals and whatnot and I don't really yeah. know where I was going with that. So yeah. I think I, well, Joe, I, I we gotta cut agree. we gotta cut the butt slap from LPL twenty twenty one. Just take it out of the take it out of the open. <laughs> I think so. Kiss I think me, so. Doctor. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree though with and this is something I've said a couple of times now. Um especially when it comes to players and, and broadcast talent and, and personalities within the scene and their relationship with Reddit and with Twitter. Um inevitably this relationship becomes more and more. Um, uh, I forget the word. There's a word for it. Parasocial. That's the word. Where it's like Twitter and Reddit receive a ton of footage of what these people are like on camera, right? And what these people present to the world, yeah. right? And thousands and thousands of people are seeing this footage streamers the best example of this right but but it's true of all broadcasters that are on a regular basis and it it becomes a very dangerous uh, relationship especially for the streamer um if you take social media too seriously and their opinions of you too seriously on a personal level and the the bigger this industry becomes and the bigger these personalities become the bigger of an issue this becomes as well and i think that we are getting to a stage now where some of the larger personalities do need to uh, remember that this is showbiz at the end of the day, even streaming on Twitch to an extent, it, this is entertainment. People turn on Twitch in the same way that people 10 years ago used to turn on reality television. Right? So you, you do have to bear in mind that not everyone on Reddit and not everyone on Twitter is uh, a fan of yours in the way that you classically think about it. Like it was five yeah. years ago, right? Like not every fan is a positive fan anymore. A lot of fans are there to watch when you fail and to to cheer that when you fail. And you have to be able to separate yourself from that. And I think that's becoming more and more important in the current climate. And I think it will inevitably inevitably become more and more important. And maybe also, maybe the drama we get is whose social media manager is getting fired instead of who's getting fired. I, I do also think that that's a symptom of like the way a lot of people come up in this industry, right? Like you start off super, super small. You've got like yeah. 10, 20 viewers or like you come from your hometown or like your home region and it's just like, hey, that's that's the guy I know. Good job. Keep going. You're going to be great. Sorry, I went cut out of it. But that's the, the where you've kind of grown from. And even if you look at these mega streamers, they all started with... 20, 30 viewers who was, you know, George, who's been super supportive of me this entire time. And then you grow and you grow. And I think it becomes a little bit 
daunting where you have that sudden explosion and then suddenly you're faced with a lot more backlash than you've ever really experienced before because a lot of the people it was like one guy in chat or two people in chat and now it's suddenly a lot more of the internet that's in your corner of the internet yeah. But it's important to then be be like true to yourself, right? Uh, yeah. I've I've had some pretty strict rules uh, on on how I interact, and and even though a portion of my pessimistic soul is not on broadcast for everybody, um, I, I I've made a very active decision from very early on that my social media is 100% me. All the travels, all the wife photos, all the dog photos. You know, I share a lot. I meet people, and they know a lot about me. You know. How was your holiday to there and there? What did you think of that restaurant? And I've had to kind of learn, oh, I'm pre- I'm sharing this, right? Don't be weird by it. Only time I did that was when somebody went, is that upper? And, oh, you're quick shot. I went, no, no, no. Motherfucker, that's the other way around. <laughs> I am quick shot and is that upper? I'm like, you do not start with the dog. <laughs> that is a cute dog. Very cute dog. It is a cute dog. That is true. But, I mean, to wrap up, I guess, this point, we can just not read Twitter and Reddit. Yep. Like, that's it. It's not... You and I can't, but other people could. Sure, I yeah. mean, I, yeah, yeah. I'm a sucker for it, you know? <laughs> exactly. like, And I get my fair share of flame from time to time, and I, 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 I take it all in. You know, I think when you work for a team as well, everyone has an opinion about your team. Everyone has an opinion about the players you acquire. Everyone has an opinion about the results you end up getting as a team. Uh, what your org is doing, and so on, and and naturally, as a public brand, you you get linked to everything, and I think that's part of the job. Um, and I I found myself enjoying even the negative conversations because it's people discussing something that you're part of. And yet, does it suck sometimes to read that someone hates it? Yes, but at the same time, this is someone who's taking his time to actually yeah. talk about it. And and you could, if you wanted to, have a conversation. You know, you could jump in and say, "Oh, hang on, I just want to explain this." You know, like roster building is a great example where uh, every off season, honestly, at any point during the year, people will talk about rosters and players, and people have no insight into how does a roster get built because no one is giving them this insight. No one is filming it. No one is like is showcasing it. But like, you know, you can you can have uh, four coaches. Uh, you can have nine, ten players spending <laughs> hours and hours and hours. There's the dog, by the way. So now this point doesn't matter because everyone is just going to look at the dog. <laughs> um, hey, but upper, uh, as it is, like, so you can have all these people who are spending their entire life on just studying this, decide on certain players, and then you will get met by someone on Twitter who's just watching casually, who's like, I hate this person. This is the dumbest decision I've ever seen in my life. Screw everything about you and this yeah. team and this and this and this. And that's, again, that's part of the sport because everyone does that about every sport. Like, I watch NFL a lot and literally the Reddit for NFL is just this. It's just memes. It's just people going crazy about players. Like, that's just part of it. And if you don't want to read it, don't read it. Literally, just don't. You can Dude, do. I need to, I need to jump in. I need to jump in. Do you know one of my favorite favorite memories ever? And this is so fucking dark, and it's just it so should not have happened. China for Worlds and the top twenty list. Oh God! And, <laughs> and it caused so much controversy that. Once the clip dropped, and I, I correct me if I'm wrong, was it between planes or groups? But it came out like we, we were in China 
And I think it was during planes. After wasn't it after groups when we did the recap of so between groups and quarters there. Which year is this? Which year is this? Two thousand and seventeen. Sixteen, seventeen. Seventeen, because I'm pretty sure one of the years where TSM sucked. (laughs) 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 I believe it was you, Jat, Papa Smithy. on the top twenty. I can't remember if there was anybody else, but that was it. The fans reacted, and they. They disagreed with the logic and the decision. There was a podcast and a list that came out. Yes. Now, Martin and I read every comment, okay? And up up to this point now, I had found a part in my personal career where I could walk away from Reddit at the time and be like, I will go read it when I have time. Right now, I've got a job to do. Martin is not yet there in his career. So this thing drops. Reddit fucking explodes, right? Martin has not been hated this much in years, right? Since the potato was surgically imparted <laughs> from his mouth. And I sat at dinner listening to Deficio Jats and Puppers with discussing social media strategy, how they wanted to respond, what was fair, what wasn't fair. And I just savored every bite <laughs> watching Martin continuously scrolling, refresh, scrolling, refresh, scrolling, <laughs> refresh. And it took a few days for you to kind of process this and get yep. through it. But watching somebody that I love so much that knows better at the time, Martin knew everybody said, Hey dude, just leave it for now. You can't change it now. Like deal with it later. And he would look everyone in the eyes and go, I'm fine. We're like, I know you are, but you are addicted to this game, this this social behavior. It was oh. so ninety percent of it was about Bjergsen. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, um, no, I, where? it's it's coming back. <laughs> yeah, Bjergsen so, was like high up on the list, right? So um, on the original list, um, so each one of us made a list, and <clears throat> if I remember hundred percent correctly, Jad had Bjergsen rated the highest, and I had him in the middle of us, and Papa Smith had him like just maybe like in 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 the list. If I remember hundred percent correctly, it yeah. averaged yeah. out. It averaged out to him being like tenth or something. Which obviously shouldn't have been the case, a twelfth, whatever it was, something like that. So that was the initial one, which there was more debate than there was flame. There was some flame for sure, but there yeah. was more. more but it debate. was fairly healthy. Yeah, right? it was okay. It was okay. And then after groups, TSM had sucked again. It was in China, by the way. It was China. Um, we got the chance to revisit our list. And record that as content and decide if we wanted to move certain players, what we wanted to do. And the thing that we did, so <laughs> both me and Jad walked away from the groups being like, TSM was really bad, but Bjergsen was actually pretty good. So I think, I don't remember what Jad put him. I just remember I put Bjergsen like 20th on my list after groups. So he was still on my list. He was just at the bottom. Yeah. And Papa Smithy had removed him from his list. And it, it got released, and this was the true TSM hate hype train. So when people saw that in the average list out of after the changes, he was still in there, people just lost it. They like lost it, it completely. It, they <laughs> lost it. And it was like people just went crazy. Even they even went crazy on Papa Smithy, even though he yes, was technically put him outside. Because yeah, yeah. he was just he was just part of he put him like 24 or something. I don't remember what it was. <laughs> But obviously, there was a lot on, on, on Jad because he was the NA caster, right? So it was like NA bias, these kind of things. And it was a lot on me as well for being super biased on Bjergsen, which to be fair, I mean, there was definitely some bias, but uh, people also really wanted 
this Bjergsen conversation. Either you loved him and you wanted him on the list, and one or the other, there, yes. or you absolutely hated this, and he should just never be on this list. He was like the most talked about name. Um, yeah. Man, I remember that. That was a meltdown. It was insane, and it's just—it's one of those things where I would not—I would not make this joke with anybody else. But I know Martin really well, and I know how he and I interact with these types of things, right? And also, we're very—I I think we're very pr- proud, not braggy, but I think we're proud of, of where we are and what we've done, and like we've—we've we've done a lot of work. So when you see people misquoting you or misinterpreting, or there's a level of responsibility where you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't want to tell you you've heard it wrong, but how I read what you've written <laughs> makes me think that maybe you skipped around a little or missed something or like, you know, you, you just yeah. you feel like ownership of, of things that you say and do. Don't so. ever misquote people. No, no. Yeah. yeah. Don't misquote people. Even even just on Twitter, it's so frustrating when you see some like I will tweet something about a player that's a little controversial. The replies will be like, "What? How can you think this guy's bad?" I'm like, "I never said he's bad. Sure, I yeah. said he had a bad game, or I said he's overrated. Like because everyone thinks yeah. he's the best player in the entire world. Like, fucking read the, I, read the tweet I, you're replying yeah. to. What are you saying? I, I also see like some topic about a player, you know, and then people, someone will just go in and write, "Oh yeah." Um, I know that teams don't like this player for X reason. Zero source, zero insight, nothing. And then people just latch onto that as if that is now true. That is now a fact. They don't like this player because he wears a too big of, sh- of a shoe or whatever. And then that's now the conversation. And just like, no, no one has ever said that. You have no insight into this. Stop saying this. You're just spreading a false narrative. Yeah. All right. Now we're watching a show. It's, it's the dog yeah. show now. It's the dog show. I feel, I feel sorry it for is. the people on Spotify. Unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, it's, it's bedtime time for grandpa over here sit so i don't know how well you're you the dog upper <laughs> wait <laughs> oh oh hey give me a high five okay <laughs> boop wait boop thank you wait boop thank you <laughs> so for, for anyone that can't hear that's listening on spotify currently quick shot is getting upper to do tricks for oh, us yes <laughs> if you if you really want to see this go Paul? on youtube watch it because it's Paul? hilarious it's adorable Paul. Thank you. So she's not particularly well trained, but yeah, unfortunately, like eleven p.m. is my bedtime. So no problem. I'm gonna no head problem. to bed soon. We'll, we will. Uh, we no will worry. wrap up Wait. the show then. Um, Wait. So I, there was a question in chat earlier that I just want to quickly hit on, if that's okay, before we close out the show. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah. Ellie in chat asked, "What was it? What was the thing for you guys that, that first got you into shoutcasting? Because I think that's a common ground for all of us, and we can hit on that, and then and then we can close out the show." Um, so we can go and whatever. Dagda, you've not spoken in a little while, so do you want to start off? Um, so what got me into shoutcasting was, uh, I told this story on your stream, actually. I didn't want to get into showcasting, but uh, I just finished um, <laughs> Screw Let's Do It by Richard Branson. Blink and twice my friend if you came... need help. Yeah. Um, so what ended up happening was, uh, I read this book, and I was like, say yes, and then figure out how to do it later. And my friend who had met through, I used to play competitively for my college, was like, look, we're struggling for a color caster. Any chance you want to fill in? And every part of me was like, don't do it. You're going to make a fool out of yourself. It's going to be horrible. You're not going to like it. And I was like, I've only just finished this book. There's not a hope. I can then turn down the first opportunity that walks in the door. So I was like, right, I'll say yes, and I'll just do it. 
was like, okay. And they came back to me and were like, you actually weren't terrible. I was like, well, that's 10 times better than I expected. <laughs> so they're like, Are you any, have you any interest in doing this again? I was like, yeah, it actually was quite fun. Uh, and then from that point, I kind of just rolled with it. And I started doing some stuff in Ireland, which then very luckily the Dublin office was beside us. So a few riders were by to see the, the cast and the streams and everything, uh, which then led to me meeting Munch in ESL UK because I went over to do uh, my first international show over there, which then led to uh, Ragnarok, which was a Swedish event that was running, um, which led me to EU Masters. Um, so I kind of, that was my my stepping stones along the way. Um, but my first intro to it, I was like, I don't want to do this at all. This is going to go horrifically. And I was like, screw it. I'll give it a shot. And I loved it. So I just stuck with it. Well, uh, well I guess we'll go around the circle. That makes the best sense. So Deficio, do you want to go next? Um, I would say a mix of luck and riot desperation. <laughs> Um, <laughs> drinking in color and is in there as well <laughs> I, I would put it up yeah so uh, end of 2013 we were supposed to go to Worlds if you ask me um, but my <laughs> insanely good top laner Extinct had quit to study uh, shortly shortly Heartbroken. before playoffs would have been the world's uh, best top laner would, uh, he was insane um, mm -hmm. and we had to pick up uh, a solo queue player who only played Rengar and Evelyn top uh, at the time, but he was like rank three, so we gave him a chance. He didn't do anything wrong; he was just not ready. Um, so we didn't go to Worlds. I then received an email from uh, uh, Bridget, who was the player manager at the time in Riot uh, for Riot NA, and she said, uh, "Hey, you know, we we met a couple of times. Yeah, at Bukalu, as an example." Um, <laughs> And also, you've obviously done a lot of interviews on broadcast. You've done some things with the casters. We're looking for pro players who want to go to LA for Worlds and uh, do interviews and content uh, as part of the Worlds broadcast. Uh, this was the time when Riot had unlimited money and they didn't have anyone overseeing their finances. So they just spent money. Um, <laughs> So, Not quite as simple, but it does sound much sexier. That, yeah, that sounds like uh, vainglory to me. It's so, a different conversation. <laughs> different times than what it is now. Um, I initially said no, and then I was just sitting at home being sad because we didn't make worlds. And my mom said to me, why on earth wouldn't you go? Like, are you stupid? Like, just take the trip, go there, enjoy it. You're just sitting here being miserable. I don't want to look at you. <laughs> um, so I came back to Riot and said, okay, fine, I'll do it. And they flew me and a bunch of other pro players. Snoopy, Voiboy was there, Ocelot, a bunch of pros at the time. And there we did the content. And then very randomly, this is where the luck part comes in. Uh, I think it was Jet. Jet decided that because back then they were doing double play-by-play -play one color caster as the tricast. I need to add on to this. Okay, maybe someone else uh, said no, something. No, 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 anyways, no. how I remember was Jad came in and, and, and he said, we need to find a pro player who can be on the caster disc with us for pick and ban phase. And they picked Snoopy, uh, Voiboy, and myself as the three guys they wanted to test for this. So they brought us to uh, to, to, to the office. Okay, bear in mind, Riot had booked us like three weeks to be in LA for like two content shoots and they paid for everything. So that's what I meant with this different times. So we were just there <laughs> chilling and they were like, hey, you want to come to the office and you want to try this thing? Um, and so we did. We didn't really know what it actually led to. 
So we just did, we did a pick and ban phase with Jet. That was it. Uh, and I think there were some producers in there, some other casters. And then after they came to us and said, okay, guys, so um, here's what we're going to do. Snooper and Voiboy, you each get a semifinal. And official, you will get the final. You you did a great job. And I was like, okay, what? Um, so now I was supposed to be on the, on the finals broadcast. Um, I didn't even know what that meant, really, uh, until rehearsal day in Stable Center uh, 2013, when I they gave me a chair right outside of the camera angle of the caster desk. And they said, uh, when the casters wave you in, you just move your chair in and you sit there <laughs> and take the headset on. <laughs> so I did. Uh, we did the pick and ban phase. Uh, there was a, people liked it, I guess. Uh, it went well. Um, it was very easy because, again, they were used to having double play-by-play and just jet alone. So I just talked. Um, and after the the show was over, full stable center, by the way, completely new for League of Legends, biggest final at the time, crazy. And you can still find a clip of me in my NIP jersey sitting there looking stupid. <laughs> um, after looking the show, afraid, not stupid. Yeah, okay, afraid, afraid, not stupid. After the show was over, um, Waylon, who was the head of esports, um, came up to me and he was like, "Hey, great job, man! You know, well done." And I was like, "I have no idea who you are. Thank you." <laughs> that was it. I have no idea who he was. And I just, I just, that was it. The show was over. I flew back home. Um, had completely planned. I was gonna run the team in NIP. We were signing Nuke Dog, of course, uh, <laughs> Mithy. Soros Zero, old school name for the people who remember him. We're going to have this super team in NIP. We were all in Sweden. I was the manager. I, I, I was committed to that. That was it. That was what I wanted to do. I didn't want to play. This was it. Um, this way, again, another lock part comes in. That was the part in LA. And then there's this. Uh, Waylon calls me and says, uh, we have let uh, one of our color casters go. We need a color caster. You were on the broadcast. Do you want to come down and do this tricast and potentially be part of it? And I just said, no. I said, no, nope, yep. not interested. We um, were so pissed. We were so pissed. <laughs> I, I was like, I just, I'm just not interested. And uh, a couple of weeks went by. And I was talking to Heaton. For all the Counter-Strike fans, obviously, one of the most legendary 1.6 players and the owner of NIP. And I just brought this up to him. I was like, yeah, you know, Riot was asking me if I maybe want to be a caster. But it's not for me. I, don't, I can't do it. I've never casted in my life. The language, everything. And he just looked at me and he was just like you're you're so stupid <laughs> just just like my mom and he was like you have to do this like what are you doing and i was like what do you mean this like i'm working for you like are you sure he's like you have to go we're going to be fine you have to do it and i called waylon and i was like hey i'm so sorry i turned this down is there is there any chance i can still do it and he was like yes when can you be in cologne and then the the promo tournament that we were going to play was in cologne as well so the deal was that after promo tournament was over, I would go to the ESL office with Trevor and D-Man and we would practice cast. And I went there, I practice cast. I thought it was terrible. I don't even know what happened there. And the next thing I know is I'm being told, you have to fly to LA yep. uh, right after New Year's. You have to fly to LA. So I fly to LA. Again, I've, I'm clueless. I have no idea what's going happening. And I do interviews with like 12, 13 different writers from... Jeez from the, the top boss to the casters and I do a practice cast and everything. And I still have no idea what I'm actually doing. <laughs> I just know that it's for the potential broadcast. And my final interview is with JP, who's the producer of uh, EULCS at the time. He's a, 
an amazing, beautiful, fantastic man. Um, and I ate IHOP in the morning <laughs> when I got there. I have to add this part of the story. <laughs> I hope it's great. But... I was. I, I hope is where it. happiness goes to yeah. die. I, I I was eating. I hope <laughs> it was in the morning. I had to go to the interview. I was very jet lagged. And when I get to the final interview with JP, and again, I don't really know who he is. I just know he's this riot NA guy. My stomach is like blah, 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 oh, from the I hope and the jet lag. So I start the interview by saying, "I'm so sorry." <laughs> I have to run to the bathroom. Like, I can't hold it. I can't hold it. So I've ran to the riot bathroom. But it plays sick music, by the way. Really, really fantastic in this situation. And this poor guy is following me. And he's waiting outside the bathroom. And I'm just... I'm just, like... I'm dying. Like, I'm just... It's 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 horrible. Thank God there's music. Great music. Again, great music. Um, And he's such a sweetheart. And he just waits outside for, like... 15 minutes or something like this and i come out and i'm just dying and then we go and we have the interview and at the end of the interview he just says here's the script you're on for week one you're gonna you're gonna be like this is your your test and he gave me the full script of the show and again i was like i left la not actually understanding i just interviewed to be a full-time rioter I thought I was just like into to become like a test caster or something. <sighs> so when we did week one of the LEC or LCS and it was horrible. Day one was terrible. I just, everyone flamed me. Day two was slightly better. Day three was slightly better. At the end of day three, Riot was like, dude, you're going to get there. We like what we're seeing. Here's a full-time contract to be a rioter. And I was like, what's happening? I decided, okay, sign it, sign it, sign it. And that was it. That's that's it's luck and desperation from Riot, I guess. Uh, I cannot believe you just put on camera an explosive diarrhea story <laughs> for your interview process, Martin. I I love you, dude. I absolutely. It's love one you. of the things I remember the most. Man. <laughs> I'm a little disappointed oh. that the guy that interviewed you didn't finish out like. Try not to shoot yourself on broadcast. Yeah, like no. that. that would have been the perfect reason. Uh, it's too listen, nice. Listen, listen, listen. <laughs> just, so, just so you know, okay, for anybody that is listening, please head to the following website, thunderdick.com. <laughs> it is one of the bands that JP Ship was in. He's a hardcore metalhead and musician. He plays fantastic music. And him and his, his old band they used to play together. It's uh, it's old like hair metal. It's awesome. Thunderdick with two Ks dot com. Um, I can't follow that story, and I'll do a much more abridged <laughs> version. Also, it's my fucking bedtime. I need to go to bed. Yeah, no um, but the long story short is, um, I I've been involved in esports, either playing or like I had teams, and I I worked for a marketing company in South Africa. I hosted events and whatnot. So. I've got a, a Bachelor of Commerce in Marketing and Business Management. I was like, I'm going to be a salesman. The only thing I'm good at is talking shit. And I, from a very young age, I used to, my family used to say that I could sell ice to an Eskimo. Why is my camera out of focus? Um, so I was like, I got to do something with my voice. 2011, I'm working a job in Berlin. I'm watching a lot of League of Legends. I'm playing a lot of League of Legends. My boss yells at me because I have two screens and I'm doing like events and player support for a game called war to glory it's awful don't go play it it sucks <laughs> and while i'm doing this my boss comes over and goes what the fuck why is there always this game on your screen what is this i'm like it's league of legends ronya i'm so sorry she's like why are you always watching this what is this nonsense 
Anyway, she tells me up in front of the whole room, I'm hanging my head in shame. I close the stream. Somebody comes over and goes, by the way, like my boyfriend runs a video game company. He wants to learn about this game. I went to go have lunch with the guy. Turns out he was the managing director of Freaks for You Gaming, which oh, is a no white, yeah. white label uh, esports company. And during lunch, these are the exact words he said to me. Trevor, you talk so much shit. Have you thought about commentating? And initially, I thought it was an insult. It then turned into like, hey, have you considered it? So we talked a little bit. I quit my job. I joined Freaks on the promise that uh, I'd develop and, and find my way to, to shoutcasting. And very, very fortunately, with my like experience as a player and a viewer and my business background, I had very specific branding goals. At the beginning of this fucking podcast, Martin said Trevor casted every single thing under the sun, and he branded himself as that South African guy. My branding and the times I've told the story are so good that even Martin is selling my shit for me, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> and literally, it was my plan. Um, I, at the time, I specifically wore Star Wars things, and like when I didn't wear a Star Wars thing, there was a subreddit thread in the top 10 that said, that South African guy is not wearing a Star Wars t-shirt. It was a much smaller world. It was a lot simpler over time. And I was very, very fortunate that within nine months of my very first shoutcast in 2012, I was hired by Riot Games in January of 2013. So my journey got started by being yelled at publicly in an office and somebody else then going, fucking hell, mate, can you just shut up? And I went, nope, I'll make this my job. <laughs> and eight, eight years later, I'm still doing it. What a beautiful story. All right. Well, uh... I guess we saw my career. Mine came much later in life. Mine came much later in life. And I, t I tell you what, like for Munch and Dagda, you should get Defish and I back to share some shit stories on a like X rated uh, version of this podcast. We'll, <laughs> we'll save this for many years down the line once, <laughs> once we get PR approval because we've got a few stories to share. <laughs> well, well, Grabs and Peter done wanted a repeat episode in six months, so maybe we could uh, book you guys in as well or something. <laughs> we'll we'll see, we'll see. Um, yeah, my 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 startup story is very vanilla. I basically just was watching you guys, and I was like, hey, that looks really fun, and I'm definitely not good enough to be a pro. I'm just gonna do that instead, and I started casting university esports. So literally the most vanilla possible story but also available. really inspirational counts you know, for casting, the same man counts dude you're now same. casting lpl i'm gonna leave you on one last quote i love inspirational quotes in in my job i try to do them <laughs> this comes... says, don't be shit the first time <laughs> you meet them <laughs> <laughs> not the first time oi 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 listen 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 go sue the, I say that I say the that to name. professionals just <laughs> before you go on air. The very first time that you're about to go on air, the very last thing I will say to you is don't be shit. But the quote I want to leave everybody with, and this I saw on a on a it was an edit on Reddit on a Pokemon picture of Ash Ketchum, and he was looking at the Elite Four, and the quote read, um, train until your idols become your rivals and then beat them and that stuck with me forever for absolutely ever and ever and i just love everything about it train until your idols become your rivals and then beat them um oh. and that just means you guys are coming for our jobs yeah. well Mike, don't worry i'm working on it mate i'm working on it we're all on the way we're all i left before you could become my rival <laughs> suck it mate i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna be director of some of the european yeah. team yeah 
Come All on, right. man. We're going to wrap up the episode then. Thank you so much for joining us, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to, to you guys. It's been, uh, honestly, this is one of the episodes that me and Dags talked about months yeah. and months and months ago before we even started the show. So it's been absolutely an honor to have you on. Um, but with that, we're going to end out episode nine. Thank you very much. Thank you everyone very much for watching. It's going to be on Spotify and YouTube. So check it. Just search Babies of the Boys on each of those mediums. With that, we'll close out the show. So thank you for joining us. And we'll see you guys next time. Cheers. Thunderdick.com. Go check it out.